fantasy and some flights. Exploring the realms of beer, board games, books, and bourbon. Welcome to another episode of the Fantasy and Some Flights podcast. I'm Nelson. I'm Dalton. And we are here today to talk about Gloomhaven starting classes. Gloomhaven! Which would be our number one board game if we didn't start the podcast saying that we are not allowed to choose Gloomhaven as our yes. number one board game. Yes. yes. But, so we very shortly chose a topic would, which would let us talk about Gloomhaven instead. Absolutely. Cool. So yeah, yeah. We're uh, we're here. It's a work night. So that's, that's also kind of fun. It's it's nice. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It gives us like a nice break in the middle of the week. Like, yeah, we'll sit down and have a drink and talk about board games in this case. Yeah, so. absolutely. I also like, so I we're at Dalton's house right now and I drove up here after work and I brought Gloomhaven with me and it was really annoying because my car was just dragging the entire <laughs> way because it, it just rides so low it rides so low with yeah that box in the back but yeah it's actually it was safer though because it was getting a little you know snowy and icy and so you know some people put like sandbags in their back of their truck where you just put gloomhaven in your trunk yeah and, and then you're absolutely good to go. yeah, yeah and it just 22 pounds really low it, it lowers the center of gravity yeah <laughs> so now that we've lost our train of thought completely yep and we're back and we're back what are you drinking today <laughs> today i'm drinking today i'm drinking um woodford uh, reserve the rye whiskey um, so Woodford Reserve is like in like the mid kind of price range. Um, it's nice. I, t- I don't typically buy the Woodford Reserve, but I get a lot of recommendations for whiskeys from my dad and he had recommended th- uh, the rye specifically. Um, and I don't drink a lot of ryes. Ryes are like, they would actually kind of be like the equivalent almost of like an IPA in like the, in the whiskey world and that they can be like a little bit more like tannic and they can like burn a little bit more. Um, but you get like a more complex flavor, like trading off for that. Um, so this one's like, I don't know. I guess I would describe it as like woody, whereas like some other ryes are very like, like you're you're tasting a lot of grain out of it. This one, like you're not quite getting that. But I mean, I'm enjoying it so far. I also make a lot of Manhattans, um, and so ryes are really good for that. So I'm wanting to try this in in a Manhattan. So what about you? So I, I uh, this is another one of the pick six that we talked about a couple episodes ago. I'm drinking one of those called the Sequench Ale, and it, it is a it's from Dogfish Head, and it is a session. Se- Session sour. Say that five times fast. Yeah. <laughs> what a what percentage it, is it? It is four point nine percent. Oh, okay. It okay. has because dogfish I- likes to make like yeah you know, <laughs> yeah, and it, it's and ten IBUs, which is about ten percent of what I normally like. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it it's described as very tart and crisp, which is the opposite end of the spectrum that I normally like. I was to, about to say like, do you how often do you drink a sour, like just by choice? I guess. Like, if you're at a bar, how often do you order a sour? Incorrect. <laughs> Question doesn't parse. I don't know. <laughs> There's no solution to you, this you, problem. You lost me there. I, yeah. <laughs> I don't understand so the question. you're branching out then. You're branching out a little bit. Yeah, it was, it was a very small selection at the Meyer. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, so let, let's... Uh, what, it's been a little bit since we've talked about some board games. So, what's been on your, what's been on your board game palette recently? Oh, I tried... Um, one of my very, very good friends from high school, he now lives in Atlanta. And so we look for board games that we can play either on like Tabletop Simulator or otherwise online to try. And we tried a Tosh Kalar. Um, it's like a two-player game from Vlada. And so it's a little... Of course it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it definitely has like the quirkiness that Vlada like brings to a game. So it's almost... It feels like a game of Go, you know? So like you're, you're placing like little tokens on a board in a similar, like taking turns t- placing these tokens like you would in a go game. But then if you make like certain little arrangements of your soldiers, you summon like super soldiers or like these enormous, like elite, like godlike monsters kind of thing. Um, so then you'll like summon this like super soldier and like wipe out half of the stuff on the other guy's board. Um, and then you're trying to like 
get certain like either like kill objectives or like control objectives on the board to get like victory points. Um, so it feels like go, except for that you're trying to make these like neat little like um, arrangements, and then you get to like summon super soldiers down. So it was it was pretty fun. But like I when I was playing it, there's like I, I don't know how many there was like six or something like starting like decks basically, and you're like a hand of cards that you're playing from, and you like I could tell I was playing the game, and I could tell I was like there's like a meta to this that I'm not getting. Like the first time playing like Summoner Wars or something where you're like okay. I can tell that there's a way you're supposed to play this, like, but I don't know what it is. And I can tell there's things I'm supposed to know about my opponent, but I don't know what they are. You know, so I think it, I would definitely like play it several more times because it would be really fun to like try all the different decks and like figure out what those metas were like. But the first time playing with like neither of us knowing what we were doing, it was a little like, let's just like try stuff. And then like one of us ended up winning and it was like, neither of us really know how that happened. You know, we were just kind of like someone got ahead, but it was, it was a really fun game. I played play it again. That is one thing that I really liked about Summoner Wars, um, which is something that I used to play quite a bit of, mm-hmm. is that when a new deck came out or whenever I got a new deck, I would probably get two of them at a time, and then I would I would sit across the player and I, we wouldn't look through any anybody's deck. And so oh they, yeah, they, yeah, you know it, it it was just kind of fun. You know they play an event card and you're like, oh my god, what does that do? And so yeah, yeah, so yeah. I, yeah, I do like that, it, yeah. yeah, because those types of games are really fun in two phases because you get you yes. get to play the game, you get to experience the game. And then you get to the part which I really enjoy, which is just like breaking down the meta of the game. Yeah, and that, yeah. that's just a whole different game. So it, yeah, I, I love yeah, that. I would have really, I, I wish that we were in person so that we could have like after the game like set all the cards out and like looked at them and be like, oh, that's what all the stuff you could do like after the game. But as it was like during the game, he would like draw a card and then start like giggling to himself and it's like, oh, I'm in trouble. Like <laughs> he just drew like something that's gonna really mess. Oh me up. no! Yeah. <laughs> oh, danger! I'm in danger. Yeah. What about you? So. I'm going to have um, my good friend introduce the next game to you. It's uh, He, he goes by Mr. Two Chains. <laughs> I'm pulling it up. Hold on. My neck is called <laughs> Magnate. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was driving up here and that came on. I was like, yeah, that's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> food chain magnate <laughs> but anyway so i got food chain magnate and i played it once so far and it is so good really oh my gosh it like it has been one of those games and there's been there's been a lot of games i do this but there's just one this is one of those games where i'm laying in bed i can't go to sleep just because i'm thinking about it <laughs> and it's just like there's so much strategy that goes into okay. it so basically I don't know how much you know about the about the game. Very um, little. I mean, just like some preliminary like reviews of it and like a picture of it on the board. So yeah. So for you and our listeners, basically, you are the CEO of a fast food corporation, and then you're you're playing on a city, and you are trying to generate food and supply demand and market your mm-hmm. food to the residents of the city. Okay. And it is so cutthroat. I mean, <laughs> oh my god. Like, and it is. Oh. Ooh. Okay. So. You're, you start with just the CEO, which is you, mm-hmm. and the, the game is played out over multiple phases, and one of, the, one of the first phases that you do is you hire an employee, and there are, I probably should have counted them before this, but there are probably <laughs> 25 employees that you can hire. Okay. Well, okay, so there's like eight that you can hire, and then one of the employees is a trainer, and so in subsequent rounds, you can train your hired employees to better employees. Oh, okay, gotcha. And... When do you start p- training your employees? You have to start paying them salaries and stuff. So you, there's a gotcha. management there. And if you can't pay a salary, you have to fire them. And <laughs> Later. Yeah. And so. <laughs> Sorry, I can't manage my own business. So you have to go now. Yeah. So it's very, yeah, very, I guess, realistic then. And, yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. And and so so you're, you're hiring these employees. 
you're producing food, which is one of the employees that you can hire as a chef and you're producing food. And then one of the other employees that you can hire as a marketer. And then you market your food to the town. Okay. And where it gets kind of cutthroat and like crazy is that residents will only buy food that they've been marketed to. And you can only sell them food if you can supply their entire order. So there's, I think there's five, there's five with like different types of food, different types of food. Okay. So, so you can sit here and you can go like a marketing strategy where if someone's making a bunch of burgers, if you get a better marketing campaign, you can market pizza mm-hmm. and even, and so they'll pick residents of the town will pick the restaurant that's closest to them. Right. If they can supply the whole order. So if you start marketing to, if I start marketing to your customer's pizza and you cannot make pizza and they have to go all the way across town and the further they travel, the more they have to pay. Gotcha. Okay. And gotcha. So just, you can like ruin someone's engine by like like dropping in lemonade and all of a sudden like their customers want lemonade and they can't find it. You know, they have to like run across town or whatever. They, I mean, there's a beautiful mix of strategy and tactics in the game. I, I think it's a lot more on uh, a reactive and okay. maybe that's just because I'm bad at the game. <laughs> <laughs> but when me and my wife played, uh, we it, it was very much like a, oh, you're doing this. I have to do this. You're doing this. I have gotcha. to do this. And gotcha. It's played out over two phase or two uh, sections. Okay. So the first section is you put fifty dollars in the bank for every player. Okay. And then ooh, gambling. Here we go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I did buy a set of poker chips. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Nice. So for for mainly this game. Yeah. But so yeah, yeah. So you you put fifty dollars in the set in the pot in the bank for right um for, for every player. And then at the beginning of the game, every player has a card that they choose that is $100, $200, or $300, and then they put that face down into the bank. And then once the bank runs out of money, you flip up okay. everyone's card, and you add that much money to the bank. So if I've put in $100, you put in $300, we resupply the bank with $400. The game is over when we've run out of the secondary bank. Oh, okay, gotcha. So there are strategies cool. that are very long-term, yeah. and you're going to put the $300 in there. Right. Or okay. if you're trying to rush the end, you put the $100 in there. Yeah, I really like games that let the players like influence when the game ends. I mean, Terraforming Mars does that. <laughs> we talk all the time about that game. Um, but like that's a really... I, I like that strategy of like, okay, am I going to like start cutting myself out of victory points to just try and end the game right now before like these other guys who have these massive engines have the time to like take the win from me kind of thing. Yeah, and... I, I mean, I, I've gone online and read some of the strategy guides and everything. And I mean, there are pages on Board Game Geek on strategy <laughs> just on the opening move. Wow. Okay. But oh, it's so good. Well, I'm excited to try it. It'll be a lot of fun. All right. So I believe it's your turn to start with us out with an icebreaker question. Okay. So it, yeah, yeah, it is. And I am going to go over and find where I wrote it down. Okay, so the last board game podcast that we published, we were talking about our new rating system, which is the mech system. Yeah. So mechanics, experience, and components. And we went in, we filled out a little uh, matrix to try and see, you know, what what are, you know, the top mechanics, the top components, and the top experience games. Right. And so my question to you is, what mechanic, component, or experience-like feature can you add to one of our games rated 10 that would make it an 11 oh my goodness and so let me, let me pull up the the game so for 10 in mechanics we had gaia project terra mystica and terraforming mars mm-hmm. in the experience we had game of thrones and code names and in components we had wingspan gloomhaven and scythe i would love to add wow man this is so this is so difficult because the balance of like the level what we like rated as level 10s was already like so good, you know? 
Okay, yeah, yeah. That that so, may not be a fair question. Let me, no, no. Okay, I'll, let me admit the question okay, because I don't actually have a answer. <laughs> <laughs> so, of those games, yeah, Gaia Project, Terra Mystica, Terraforming Mars, Game of Thrones, Code Names, Wingspan, Gloomhaven, and Scythe. Mm-hmm. In the categories that they're lacking, let's let's take out components. So, okay. Um, yeah, because like every once in a while they put out like the limited edition, like the deluxe of the deluxe, and we're gonna know. charge you seven thousand dollars, right? For so it. you're gonna have like these three D models of the Catan, you know? And I'm like, that's really pretty, but I'm not gonna buy it because, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay, so, fair enough. So of Gaia Project, Terra Mystica, Terraforming Mars, what would you change in those games to increase the experience? Or in Game of Thrones and Codenames, what would you change in the mechanics to increase the mechanic rating of those games? Yeah. I think, and I'm gonna take the caveat of like. I'm being asked this off the cuff. I have no idea how or if this would work. It would probably ruin the game entirely, right? But I, I love the simultaneous the simultaneous action mechanic, and I think that that's the one area where Gaia is lacking, is that there's not enough to do on other players' turns. So I think it would be really cool to fi- like if, if they had figured out a way to do like almost like the secret orders thing that like Game of Thrones had thrones has but like thrown into gaia projects so that you had to like do things simultaneously and maybe there's like an order if you're trying to do like the same action in the same at the same time like either terraform the same planet or claim like those public actions you know that like there's some sort of order that that resolves or something like that basically to take down on the downtime between turns because especially with players like us that we take forever to think about a game or about a move you know when i'm playing like with you, it's like, oh, okay, like I'm invested in your turn. But I feel like if we played that more and more and more, that eventually towards the end, I would kind of get like, okay, like I'm wanting to move this game along. And it's just taking a long time kind of thing. So yeah, making simultaneous turns on Gaia Project. And I think Gaia Project even kind of acknowledges that mm-hmm. because in the rule book, it says that the current player is the person responsible for letting other players know if they're allowed to cycle power if they've upgraded a building. Right. So yeah. Gaia Project realizes that once it's not your turn, you're kind of just toned out, and yeah. you walk to the other room and do whatever. And <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You're refilling your drink. You're you know taking a turn on another board game. If you refill your drink too many times in Guy Project, you are screwed. Yeah, <laughs> but you have a lot of fun. <laughs> What's your answer to the question? Okay, so I'm coming in with my prepared answer. So I've had a little bit of time to think about this. So Game of Thrones is a has a great experience. I I, I will gladly sit down and play that game. For hours on end, which we still need to schedule, yeah, in the next coming weeks to yeah. play that game. Yeah, oh, it's such a, such a great game. The one thing that I think Game of Thrones lacks in the mechanics is I don't necessarily really like how the White Walkers are handled. Um, so mm-hmm. when when you draw a certain amount of cards with a certain symbol on it in uh, in Game of Thrones, or there's a certain card that just say the Wildlings attack. Yeah, or I'm sorry, I said White Walkers, Wildlings, and you all have to bid um certain yeah. things to it i think something more along the lines of like a terraforming mars where you're all working towards a global objective it's just it's so hard to it's just such a weak mechanic i think yeah yeah it's almost like thrown in because they needed some way to model the like the fact that the wildlings existed but i, I agree it's a little ancillary you know it kind of just like happens like two or three times a game and the players are like okay that happened yeah but but I think that you know if you could have maybe a track or something that it's it's mechanic where you're sacrificing your knights to send to the wall or or your uh-huh. your pawns to send to the wall so you're removing those pawns but you have a better or a better outcome when the wildlings attack at the wall or something right. along that line yeah or maybe if you like won a battle that there was a way to like make your enemies units instead of like retreating that it like effectively killed them and like banished them to the wall that would be awesome actually. Yeah, yeah yeah something no, like something that something like that that'd be oh yeah you're right no, that yeah, the players yeah. don't actually have a way to like 
influence it speeding up or slowing down, I don't think. Like, I think it's just kind of like no. based on the deck flipping, right? And you're like, oh, it's happening now. And yeah, we knew it was building, but now all of a sudden it happens. We don't have a way to like, as the players make it like happen faster or slower. Right. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so the feature topic for tonight is we're going to go through and we're going to talk about the starting six Gloomhaven classes. Yes. And so Gloomhaven, if it's not the number one when this podcast gets released, then something crazy has happened in the glo- or in the, the board game world. Right, yeah, it's been toppled after like a year and a half. It's, been a, it's probably been about a year and a half, yeah, th- yeah. I would say that's about right. And there's As the nothing, number one on Board Game Geek. There's yeah. nothing in the upcoming um, board game news that right. I think could take take its place in the next couple weeks. Right. Gloomhaven is ranked as the number one game on Board Game Geek. Yes. And there's a reason for that. I mean, it's a great game. It, it's a campaign game. So I think the one downfall that I would have in Gloomhaven is that it's we know how hard it is to put together a D&D campaign and get right. people to show up for that. And this is the same thing. Yeah. So the the one benefit that Gloomhaven will have is that there's no dungeon master or no game master that's actually running the game. Yes. Everyone is playing and all the enemies work under a Yeah, it's an autonomous. Like it's it's autonomy, it's yeah. yeah, yeah, it's it's written for you. And that sounds like a minor benefit, except for that you realize that nobody has to prepare for Gloomhaven, right? And if you've ever done a DM or a or a GM type role, then you know that's an enormous undertaking to prepare scenarios for your party and like prepare monster stats and balance everything ahead of time. And so there's a ton of work that goes into that that Gloomhaven like removes for you. The downside is that it's an enormous barrier to entry, right? Like we were joking at the start of the podcast that it's like 20 something, I think it's 22 pounds, just the weight of the box. I mean, it is enormous. Um, It looks really great on the shelf, Um, but there's a ton of components. Um, When it was like coming out, it was selling at like, what, like $140, $160, something like that. I spend too much money on this game, yep. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, And it, like there's a reason for that is because there's so much content packed into the game. But like if someone isn't a board game player and they sit down for the first time with the rule book, it can be really daunting. Yeah, that 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 is a downfall. But yeah. once you get over that learning curve, I mean, yeah. Or if you have someone who like like knows it and can explain it to you, so they can do all the autonomous rules for like the monsters and stuff, and you can just kind of be along for the ride. And I'm gonna go out and say we're not sponsored by the Gloomhaven app yet. Right. Um, but, <laughs> but if you if you can figure out how to pull together, I think it's a dollar ninety nine. Yeah. From your group. <laughs> <laughs> that the app makes that game run so much smoother. Yeah. Um. And it, it just, I mean, it, it really helps. It, it really does help. Dalton, what? Give Give me an overview of what Gloomhaven is. Yeah. So Gloomhaven, it's a fan. It's a fantasy setting, and you are a group of adventurers that live in Gloomhaven. Um. And you have the opportunity to kind of go on these like little mini quests. Um, it starts off and there, there's like little side quests and, and the, initially it can be hard to tell if there's like kind of an over- overarching story, but there is. You can like follow some quests that, that kind of build on each other, right? And as you're doing quests and stuff, it'll, uh, missions, they're called, it'll unlock other missions um, some, and your characters are leveling up. So in that sense, it feels very much like an RPG and it is in a, in a lot of senses, except for that you're not creating your character. Um, you can customize your character, but your character comes in a little package and it's basically given to you. So you're given a, a hand of cards that you can draft from. Um, and then you're getting some ability to influence like your stats in the game. But for the most part, those are relatively set. Um, so you kind of sit down, you build your little character, you like give them a name um, and you pick which cards you want to play with and like some of your like starting little perks and stuff. Um, and then you're kind of just sitting down and playing. And so every time you sit down and play a mission, it's your party like coming out of Gloomhaven to do some mission that you've been given. Um, one huge benefit of that 
is that like we said there there it can be really difficult to schedule rpg party like games like that right to get everybody together once a week or whatever based on your lifestyle and, and your stage of life that can that can be really hard but gloomhaven is built so that people can come in and out so if you have like a four-person party um, you can consider playing, you know, one guy can't come. You can still play a mission with three. And that really has very little impact on your ability to play the missions because they all scale um, in difficulty based on the number of players. And it like you still are moving the story along in like a productive way. Um, you can also have like, like we had a three person party um, in my main group. And so that allowed us to like bring someone in almost as like a guest and they can like kind of drop in for like a, like a single mission. Um, and so that's really fun because then it's like, oh, we can like still do this for like two to four hours based on the mission or if we're doing multiple missions, but like our guest can still partake, you know. And, and one of the other benefits to that is if someone is nervous about mm -hmm. maybe they don't want to undertake this, that it's a hard ask for someone who's unsure to sit down at a Pathfinder or a D&D game. Right. Yeah. For Gloomhaven, absolutely. you can tell them, hey, if you don't like this, you can get up and walk away in the middle of the night. Right. Like, right. Yeah. Come over. Try it. Yes. Let, let, and they're going to probably fall in love. Yeah, so let's dive a little bit into the mechanics of the game. So yep. as a player, you're playing a class. What this character does is there's a number of cards that's dictated by that character that you mm -hmm. can have in your hand. Every turn, you will pick two of those cards, and each one of the cards is divided up into a top action and a bottom action. Yep. You will then play them. We just kind of do it face down, and once everyone's selected their actions for that round, you flip up. Whoever has the lowest initiative gets to go first and they choose one of their top actions and one of their bottom actions to execute that turn. Yeah. And I would say simultaneously, all of the enemies on the board also flip up an action that tells the players what they're going to be doing that turn. Yeah. And so these actions can be, I'm going it, to, it's a, it's, it's kind of a miniatures game. It I, is. Yeah, it, yeah, it's on a board. Like there's board. hexes and stuff. Yeah. So it could be like move two. So you're going to pick up your character and move it two spaces. It could be attack two where you're going to deal two damage to an enemy and then you have a little attack modifier deck so every time you attack you flip up a card and this yeah. card could be plus two damage or it could be you miss it's a critical miss or there, there's a card in there that's times two damage where you do double damage to the enemy yeah and so that adds a little bit of randomness and it, it it's interesting because one of the mechanisms in gloomhaven is you can upgrade cards in that deck yeah and so in like a traditional D D or pathfinder game or any other rpg uh traditional rpg you're rolling dice and right. those dice unless you're playing dice forge cannot be upgraded right. and uh this allows for an upgrade in your in your quote-unquote dice yeah it, it, it is actually one of i think it's probably my favorite mechanic in gloomhaven i think it is in like it's it's genius because every player starts with the same basic deck right it has the same even distribution i mean it's actually the same attack modifier deck that the monsters have um, so you know the distribution of like how many are going to be like plus zero. So it's just going to be their base attack plus zero damage. How many are like minus one plus one or plus plus two minus two. Um, or again, like you said, the times two or the null, like zero damage. And then like your character perks, yeah, allow you to start to like influence that. You can remove minus ones. You can add in a plus three. You can move, add in like a plus one flip again. You know, and so like all, all this like really, really fun nuance enters and they're very flavorful for the characters. And it is random, but it's like a controlled randomness. And I love like controlled and understood randomness. And there's a lot of math that can be done around like, okay, what, which of these perks is better for me to take? Is it better for me to replace a minus one with a plus one or to like do this other perk? Absolutely. And so, so what were you planning on doing is in Gloomhaven, there are 17 different classes that you can play as. That's a lot packed into one box. There's yes. an expansion that adds one class that we will not talk about. Yeah. Probably ever. Just, it's not a great class. <laughs> um, this may be right around the time that Frosthaven, which is the standalone expansion for yeah. Gloomhaven, will be getting 
released out on Kickstarter and maybe yeah. a little bit before. I don't actually know when we're releasing this episode. So, <laughs> <laughs> but, but so, and those that, that will come with more classes. Right. Talk about timing. Hey, it's Nelson from the future. Frosthaven was launched on Kickstarter two days ago. And in the first 24 hours, it raised over $5 million, which is a record for board games. There's about a month left on the Kickstarter from the release of this podcast, so there's plenty of time to grab a copy. Congratulations to the designer, Isaac Childress, and we're really looking forward to playing it. So these 17 classes, there are actually only six of them that you can choose from to start the game. And then you get dealt a secret objective that's like a campaign objective. It's what your character wants to do with their lives. Yes. And I'm not going to give any examples because it's kind of fun to not have that spoiled. Right. And some of them will, I've seen some take one mission. I've seen some take 10 missions. So it, it can be a long time before you unlock or complete your campaign goal. Right. Or secret objective. I don't actually... We call them secret objectives because right. we're used to Dead of Winter. I, I don't yeah. Know <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I think it's a personal quest. Personal quest, okay. Yeah. And and what that does is most of the personal quests unlock one of the other 11 classes that you can play. Right. And then you retire your character so you no longer are playing with your starting character. Yep. And then you get Your to, party sadly says goodbye. Yeah. <laughs> they wave as your, your retired character walks into the colloquial sunset. With all of their money because you can't give your money away. That's right. <laughs> they take their loot and spoils and their complete life now and they yeah walk into the sunset. And uh, you, you now have the opportunity to pick a new character. That can be one of the other six starting classes or any of the other characters you've unlocked. You do not have to actually play the character you've unlocked, which I think is kind of cool because yeah. you don't know what you're going to unlock. And if you unlock... Right. You know, I enjoy support slash tank uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, characters, right? If I unlock something that is just straight damage dealing, I don't think I would have as much fun playing that character as I would a different starting class. Yeah, and there's so, a, there's intentionally a lot of variability and complexity. I would add that too. So I've seen a lot of players look at a class and be like, that looks really, really cool and interesting, but I'm actually not really looking for that. That's a little bit over. And then I've looked at classes and been like, that's not like all of those are all of those are just straight either attacks or moves or whatever. And I think that that lacks the level of depth that I'm looking for in a character. And I've passed over stuff before. Um, you can also play your character again. Some people do that. They're like, I just really liked that character. I'm just going to make him again. You know, and maybe try like some different cards that I didn't get to try in the last like character build. Um, so yeah, a lot of opportunities there to kind of play the game that you want, the way that you want to play it. So what, what we are going to do in this podcast is we're going to walk through the f- starting six classes. Yep. We're going to avoid any spoilers of the campaign or any of the other 11 classes. So if you're worried about that, don't uh, don't worry. Don't turn off the podcast now because, you know, we're going to dive in. We're going to go through and do a little overview of each of these classes. Um, we, we've taken one card out of the deck. We're going to shuffle them up randomly. So it's going to be a random order. And uh, we're, we're just going to kind of walk through some of the base statistics, what they're good at. If you like playing a cleric and pathfinder, maybe you would like to play this class. Right. Um, yep. So we're going to try and give yeah, a couple and then of our analogies. personal thoughts. Oh, yeah. and our personal thoughts. <laughs> I got some strong ones. Uh, <laughs> you a critic? Yeah. Okay. Just as, as you were as you were talking about the game, I, I did pull up the game on uh, Board Game Geek uh, mm-hmm. just to kind of get an idea. So Board Game Geek gives a complexity rating uh, or a weight to all of their games, and it's out of five. And Gloomhaven is a three point eight one. Okay. Um, out of which five. is actually not as high as I thought it was going to be. Although yeah. most, like, yeah. although, like, I haven't seen much above, like, 4.2, I guess. You yeah, know, Food Chain a- Magnate's, like, a 4-point magnate is, like, a 4.2. Yeah. Like, we talked on our last board game episode about On Mars. I think that's, like, a 4.61. 
Oh, wow. Yeah, no, it's very complex. Yeah. Yeah. I've just looked at pictures on Instagram. I'm like, I want to play that, but I don't want to learn how to play that. <laughs> <laughs> I want to skip to the part where I know. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, so I think a 3.81 is pretty okay. It, it, yeah. it could be a little bit higher if you're you're playing some of the non-starter classes or if you're doing all the autonomy for the enemies if That's you're trying true. to keep all of that straight then it could be a little bit heavier yeah yeah but, you might but you i guess you might be able to say like it is it is maybe the rule book isn't it, it's still very heavy but it's not as heavy as like the the, the mid the mid fours but it is very deep in content there are a lot of missions there's a there's a ton of hours of replayability you know like that you're getting a lot for that 140 bucks or whatever um, so that's maybe when I hear weight, that's what I think of is I think of, well, whoa, look how many components there are, look how many like board pieces and monsters. And, and it's like, oh, okay, but is it that difficult to comprehend? Probably not. It's probably three, three, it's probably fair. It's also ranked number one overall, number one in the thematic category and number one in the strategy category. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> so, I yep. mean, it, it, and it's earned those. That's yeah. absolutely fair. It, it's the designer is Isaac Childress. So I, I have my my cards over here i'm going to shuffle them under the table we're going to draw one and we'll 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 dive into the starting six let's do it let's do it okay so the first one that we drew is the mind thief nice um, so so the mind thief I is know, at least one listener who will be very happy that we're starting with the mind thief <laughs> the mind thief is a is a vermling so he sort of looks almost like a rat looking thing i would kind describe of small. it as a rat yeah yeah um, but yeah blue background so when you're looking around the outside of the box that's the one you're seeing you actually played a mind thief right i did yeah, yeah i played so... through the first not long it was like three or four levels of the mind thief i think the mind thief in the starting characters he's he's sort of roguelike I, I hesitate to describe him that way, though, because there is like a straight rogue character that will hit a little bit later. But he, but he feels roguelike in that he has um, he has very good movement. He has um, a lot of invisibility. And so he can kind of move around the map undetected. And he has a ton of like single point damage. Like that's really his thing. And this is very much, I think, of a rogue wizard type yeah, I could build. see that. Yeah, so yeah. he has a little bit of magic. He can go invisible, and he does yeah. like he has a lot of access lot of to like stun and and like other um kind of debuffs that he's that he's applying. So yeah, if that's like if the, if that's kind of you 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 want to be yeah the sneaky guy, sneak up and backstab someone. You know, again, he has that a little bit of invisibility, a little bit of like um the disarm, the stun, and those are um, I'm using those terms. Those are those are I'm going to go up to an enemy and stun them so that he doesn't get a turn, or I'm going to disarm him so that he can move but he can't attack. Um, he, in the mind you can do like do a little bit. That's kind of how he keeps himself safe. Fairly low on health, so he's on the low health track. I say that because there are three health tracks: we, low, medium, high. Is you know how we use them, or we, or normal, you know, full and half. Or there's some other ways to say it that all the characters have. So a low health track is starting at six health, which is fairly low in the game, and increasing by one with each level. Whereas the um, high health track uh, starts at ten and increases by two each level, and and then the the medium is halfway between those two. And, and one of the other things that kind of ties into the health, which is your hand size. Yes. And yeah. so uh, another really kind of interesting thing that I think the game would be perfectly good without, and it just adds to the game, yeah. is that every character has a no- different number of cards that they can have in their starting hand. And so typical would be about 10. So actually, yeah, so I, I wrote those out. So in the starting classes, the average is 10. Um, and I think actually across all the classes, I believe it works out to about 10. I haven't worked that out fully, so don't quote me, but I believe it works out to about 10. Um, but in the starting classes, just really briefly, there's an 8, which is the lowest. There's a 12, which is the highest. There's one of each of those. Then there's one 9 and one 11, and then there's two 10s. So it's kind of like a distribution working around 10, and Mind Thief hits that average. And the reason I say that is that if you ever get attacked and you don't want to take that damage, you can discard a card from your hand or two cards from your discard pile and ignore all that damage. So right. if you have a higher hand size, 
you you're a little bit beefier because you can discard a couple more cards. It's not a very effective way to do that, right? But, right, uh, because like so you each we, we haven't talked too much about this yet, but you're like like Nelson said earlier, you're playing two cards per turn. And so you're starting with a hand of 10, you're playing two cards per turn. Then on the fifth turn, you're out of cards, and you have to pick all your cards back up. And when you do that, you have to permanently discard one, like trash one from your deck for the remainder of the uh, mission. At the like next mission, you'll get all your cards back. But that means that now you're starting with nine, and you're going to go through. And so this time, because you're playing two a turn, instead of getting five turns through your hand like the previous one, now you only have four, and then you're going to trash a card again. This right. is the math I did. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and so the when when we talk about um, you have a survivability in terms of your health, but you also have a survivability in terms of how long can I actually play before at the end of the mission where I just run out of cards and then you become exhausted. And that's another way for your character to sort of not lose the mission, but if all the characters were exhausted, then that would end the mission for you. In a 10-card right. hand and you use every single card each round, you would be able to play 25 turns. Okay, and, and that's assuming a short rest? No, I mean, well, a short rest or a long rest, you're only discarding one card. I, I, I say that because oh, a long rest is a turn. Yeah, I, I'm not, I'm not including rest. the long rest as a turn. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so yeah, yeah, so 25. Yeah, and you yeah, would okay. rest nine times, so that'd yes. be 34 turns. Total. Okay, if you did, yeah. Okay. And so, and and that is not linear. Yes, yeah, it speeds up, and that can be really actually as a new player, that can be almost terrifying because you can you're like, okay, this is going great. Like I've 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 rested like one time because you took like five t- you know turns, and you're on your ninth turn, you're like, okay, I'm about to like rest again. But then, yeah, when you get towards like four turns, you're like, or four cards left, you're like, I still have enough time, and you're like, no, I don't. I have like what six turns left or something like that, right? It's like ending imminently, right? And so there there are some other classes in the starting uh starting selection that have a little bit more trashing cards, which I I have a little bit more analysis that I want to get into that. But mm-hmm. let, let's let's talk about the mind thief. What e- each class typically has one thing that they are really good at, or one unique thing. What's right. the unique thing that the mind thief can do? Yeah. So the unique thing that the mind thief can do is he can lay down what he calls an augment for his augmentations he is sort of taking a card and permanently placing it in front of him and now he has this like standing buff that's on that card um that card's sort of removed from his hand so he then has to go through and only use the like remaining nine cards let's say if he if he uses if he plays an augment on his first turn and but he can with the other augments in his deck he can replace that at any time um so he can kind of go through and he can be like okay i need extra damage right now and he places like damage augment um, and then he's like, okay, now we're between mo- rooms or something. We're just kind of like moving around. There's no enemies. I'm going to switch to like my extra like healing augment so that I'm like healing over my turns and, and stuff like that. It's a really, it's it's a really fun idea. Unfortunately, they printed one that is like significantly stronger than the rest of them. And so you, it almost like, it almost railroads you into like using one augment like all the time. Um, the one that's really good is just like extra damage. And it's like enough extra damage where you're like, I almost always have to use this. Um, but there are missions where like doing damage is not the priority thing, right? Where you're like some of the escort missions or um, some other ones where you're like do doing something else where the other augments can work and so that can make the mind thief like really flexible to the like current scenario one thing that that you kind of touched on is that the augment stays out in front of you and is no longer in your hand or Mm -hmm. your discard pile Mm -hmm. and so when you when you play those are on the top they're top action right Mm -hmm. so so when you're playing probably on your first turn you're going to want to put an augment out Right. So you, you place your two cards down, your top action, your first turn will be placing the augment out, and you'll put the other card in your discard pile. Right. You now effectively have a hand of nine cards. Right. Yeah. Okay? So because you every single time you rest, um, you have to pick up your discard pile and discard one. If you if you have a discard pile and hand or your all th- those tards, cards total an even number, discard your augment. Mm-hmm. Because if you do that, you put it into your discard pile. Whenever you're discarding a card, you will then have an even number of cards, and you'll get one extra turn. 
Yeah, yeah. So just to like clarify that a little bit, you can always discard a card from play in Gloomhaven because there are some cards that stay out permanently. So this one allows you to discard it so that, yeah, your your discard of eight now just became a, a discard of nine because you moved your augment over there and that buys you like that one extra turn. And so it can be a really smart way as the mind thief to extend your life in the game. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we touched on it a little bit, but the people who would like the the magic rogue users, I think would really enjoy a mind thief play. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so you wrote down a couple of other attributes that we wanted to kind of rank them on. Yeah. Um, run through those? We, we've talked about initiative a lot. Um, so initiative is you know how quickly does this character move because i'm going to reveal my initiative amongst all the other players um, but then i'm also going to reveal the initiative of the monsters and if you're you and this monster are next to each other it can be really advantageous at the start of the turn to go first because you could get your damage out or if you're the mind thief you can get like a debuff out like a stun or a disarm that will prevent the monster from doing its turn and you know thereby damaging you most likely on its turn um, or, or like, again, you might just kill it, right? The permanent stun. Like you, can just, you might just kill it on your turn and then it never gets the chance to damage you. And that's like how you're kind of extending your life. And this was actually like a really interesting, like how do, how do we quantify um, initiative? Because the first thing I did is I just took all of the cards that all of the starting classes had and I just averaged them. And I got sort of like a, okay, here's like the average initiative of all this person's cards. And then I realized that's actually not a very good way to do that. And the reason that's not very good is because you're playing two cards on your turn and you get to pick which cards initiative you want to use. So there are some characters that actually have a, a almost a bimodal distribution where they have some very fast and some very slow cards. And so if you look at the average of them, they look average because it, there's have a, half of their cards are fast, half of their cards are slow, so their average is in the middle. But you're always choosing one, right? And so they, if, they, if they want to always choose their fast card, they actually have a very quick initiative and they're kind of hiding their low in, or their high initiative cards, their slow cards. And so looking at the Mind Thief uh, that way, he's probably fast. There's one, again, there's one character in the starting char- starting classes that is very, very fast. And so he's not quite that quick. But the Mind Thief works out to an average of 16 in their top five cards. And so say, saying that their five fastest cards have an average of uh, 16, which is very quick in the game. And, and initiative is one through 99. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So- yeah, so if you're going at 50, most likely you're going in the middle of all the monsters mm-hmm. because yep. players are typically going to play faster initiatives. That's true. Yeah, players are typically faster. The monster, some monsters like tend to be faster or slower, but for the you're, for the most part, they hit the full distribution. Um, and the mind thief has at least one single digit card in the starting hand. He gets a couple more that are faster than that or in that in that realm. Um, so so fast, not epically fast, but very quick. Um, that's definitely a benefit of the mind thief. I think initiative also matters a lot for tanks and it matters for like these like dps right damage we use that from from like uh from like wow and other things damage per second what that means but just like the guy who's just meant to deal all the damage he can that's his role and that's kind of the mind thief here and initiative can be important for them again because they're trying to kill something before it has a chance to hurt them back the other thing that i kind of thought to rank these on is like the survivability of the character and we we talked about how it's on the low health track so it 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 gains health very, very slowly, and it also has an average size uh, hand of cards. So I would yeah. say it's a, it's it's actually probably a low survivability. I mean, yeah. it, it's a it's a glass cannon. I mean, it is. Yeah, yeah. yeah the the thing that protects them again is like their ability to kind of the mind thief is very, very strong against one enemy. They can typically keep that one enemy suppressed through being invisible themselves or stunning or disarming and then just eventually doing enough damage to like kill it on its own very susceptible though to being kind of overwhelmed by lots of small enemies where their damage is not quite as valuable 
um, and they, their ability to to either tank through that damage or to debuff that damage and kind of protect themselves through those stuns and stuff where that's kind of reduced because they have all these like mini attacks coming through them. They'll kind of rely on their party in that in that places. The, what you would do as the Mind Thief in that situation is bring some of your more like ranged cards and kind of sit in the back behind your tanks and kind of just shoot stuff. The only other thing that I wanted to bring up would be movement. Movement can be really important. I mean, and like I, I, when I say that, I mean that literally like how many spaces can this character move on the board? Um, I think the Mind Thief ends up being a little bit average there. Um, I think there's a there's a mechanic described in the rulebook that you unlock um, after your party kind of levels up a little bit that allows you kind of upgrade your cards. It's a really good way to take the loot that you've gotten over the course of the missions and kind of reinvest it in your character. And so the Mind Thief, those, those are some of the first things that the Mind Thief looks to do is upgrade some of its movement capabilities because getting to the right place at the right time to do its like single point high, high damage attacks can be really important for the character. So look out for that if you're playing them. Cool. Okay, so I'm shuffling under the table. We are going to dis- discuss the brute next. The so brute. The brute is the. Your party played with a brute. It has, yeah. So okay. uh, one of my car- or one of my players played as a brute, and his secret objective was just the longest secret objective. So that I, I think I okay, ever saw. Okay, so you played a lot with the brute. We played a lot with a low level brute, and you know the yeah. other. The That's other actually really people- funny because the brute was in my longest party. The brute was in my starting class, and he also had a very long personal quest, and so he took a like we had a brute around for a very long time. The brute is the classic tank. Yeah, it does good damage, but it can take damage. Yes, I mean it. it it's the high health track. It starts at ten, goes up by two every time. Yep. It also has a hand limit of ten. Yeah. So it, it's kind of an average on the hand size. Yeah, but, but very few cards that I think you want to be trashing. Um, whereas the Mind Thief kind of has like the augment out and he has some other cards that like you may consider trashing. The Brute has less of that. And so you'll kind of find yourself keeping the cards around, I feel like. That and I, I think the Brute has a good amount of cards that give you shield, which mm. kind of blocks the damage. Yeah, and that's actually a really important thing because there's one other character in the starting classes that looks like a tank, but is actually not. And he looks like a tank because he's on the high health track, but the like the Brute is, um, but the Brute specifically has those shield cards. And shield will say, okay, if I have shield one, that means I'm damaged two, I take one damage, right? The shield just subtracts right from your damage. That sounds like not a big deal, but there are definitely missions where you take like five turn, five attacks on a single turn. And so if you have a shield one, you just reduce that by five because each attack got reduced by one damage. And so the fact that your party has a brute out there standing out in the front, just swinging away and attacking as a note, just to be clear, enemies will always attack the closest enemy first. And so the brute's job is to kind of jump in there. He has a ton of movement to get him in um, and then just be there shield himself up he doesn't have a ton of healing he'll kind of rely on the party for that or maybe some items and stuff um, but that's his job be out there be the bully push the enemies around take the damage so your party doesn't have to yeah yeah you you said that they're always going to attack the 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 uh, closest enemy the closest yeah. enemy yeah, yeah the game wow. calls it like the favored enemy i think when you're yeah, selecting the who enemy. they attack yeah and then the the next kind of criteria for the enemy if there's an enemy that is both two spaces away they will go to whoever acted first in that round Yes. Uh, yeah. And so, so I'm kind of curious because I don't, I haven't seen the initiative data. So, so how do, how does the brute line up on the initiative stuff? Yeah. Yeah. So the brute, he lines up on an average of 18 in his top five cards, and so he's he's again in that fast, not epically fast. He is actually he's tied for fourth amongst the six starting classes. But I would I would caution that by saying that the characters that have the option to go slower are probably the characters that want to go slower, and will kind of hit some of that. The, the main coordination you run into is like kind of knowing, okay, what's like the fastest card that as, as the not tank character, if you're not the brute and the brute's like, okay, I'm going as fast as I can to take all of the hits that I can. 
you know, you're kind of like, what, like, what, what does that look like for him? It ends up being in the low teens mostly. Um, he may run into like some twenties, like 27. Um, if he's kind of like lower in his, or he's kind of running out of gas a little bit and he hasn't, he's running out of fast initiative cards, but it's also something that's very quickly fixed when he starts leveling up. He gets some fast initiative cards that really help him out. I, I'm looking through the cards right now because it, it has been a while since I've seen the brute played. Yeah. I mean, it's probably been about a year. Yeah. Uh, and I think, you know, the player who played the brute played enough of the brute that he never wants to see the brute played again. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But, yep. I mean, his cards are kind of fun. Like, it's They're not funky. Yeah. just damage, right? Yeah. So, you know, this one is attack X, where X is the number of hexes you have moved this turn. That's a fun one. That yeah. is a fun one because I, I go to the next card, and he had upgraded this. So, on the bottom, it's a move four, uh-huh. and he upgraded it to plus one movement. So, mm-hmm. it's a move five, and then... The top action of the other card is attack X. So you can move five and attack five, which right. for a level one card is ridiculous. Like yeah, that's that, a lot. that that's a lot. <laughs> right. And especially when you're considering like that's not his main role, right? Like his main thing is to be a tank and to shield himself and stuff like that. So the fact that he can actually put out a lot of single point damage is very helpful. And then he can also he has like a decent ability to to damage like it's not a ton of area of effect. Area of effect is another when I say that I'm saying uh, I'm meaning okay, I'm attacking multiple enemies at the same time. He doesn't have a ton of options, but he does have some. It's enough to where I'm I, hey, I'm the brute. I'm going to go jump into that crowd of small enemies and then all of a sudden you're like, "Wait, I have actually some cards that can kind of deal with this situation." And you end up killing like two or three of them and the party's like, Dude, Dude, thank you. That was awesome. Like that was so helpful. Um, I think every beginning party, especially if they have actually, you know what? Even at any player number, if it, if it, if you are starting Gloomhaven for the first time, I think someone needs to be playing the brute. I think he's that strong. Yeah. One one. I was talking to one of my buddies who's just started a Gloomhaven campaign, and they don't have a brute, and they're they're struggling. It's it, hard. It, it's hard. Damage will be dealt to the party, and it has to be taken by somebody. Yes. And the brute is happiest when he's taking the damage, and their melee attacks, and people are surrounding him. Yeah. That's his happy place. <laughs> exactly. He's like, we're in a matchup that you're gonna lose, kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And he's he, he's he, he's not simple because the decisions you're making are complex, but the way that you play him is fairly simple. It's, it's straight. I'm gonna move and attack. Like that's that's his deal. That's what he does. Um. So deciding where to move to and where to attack has a lot of implication because you're the tank. And that's like where you are standing and when you're going in the initiative order is very important. But the way that he actually executes that is fairly straightforward. So he can be played by um, a lot of different players. He's not too over. He's not too complicated to, to dive into. I think a good way to summarize that is that the, the cards are not super complex, but the positioning and where where you are on the yes. board is, is kind of where where that the complexity comes in for the brute. Yeah. Also, final note on the brute for me: epic perks. Like, I think he has just really he has a, he has a added uh, add one plus three card and, and he so has several so, flip oh yeah go so ahead. I'm sorry perks are the when you're going throughout the campaign you get these perks which is what modifies your attack modifier deck yeah yeah so sorry yeah when I, I say I that, no it's very good you. very good point <laughs> um so when I say add one plus three card he's actually adding a plus three to his attack modifier deck again at the start the highest is either the plus two or the times two so adding a plus three is like oh okay that's that's significantly impacting how much damage this can do. Um, he has uh, one replace one minus one with one plus one card, which several other ones have that. But he also has one that's removed two minus one cards. So now I'm just removing turns that are bad and I wasn't expecting them, kind of thing. Did uh, I ever show you? Stuns. Yeah. Yep. Did I ever show you uh, Brady's online calculator that he did? I d- yeah, yeah, yeah. That, yeah. that was I, I've used it. It's very helpful. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe 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 we'll ask to see if we can link that in the show notes because it, it's pretty cool because yeah. it, it's a so it's it's an online calculator where you know. 
what's my average damage if I take out a minus one card? Mm-hmm. And, and so that it kind of helps you conceptualize what what's your best perk to take at that time. Yeah. Initiative is you said it's tied for fourth, so it's a little bit slower. It is a little. He does, he does not have a in the in the beginning cards. He does not have a single digit initiative that can be really crippling in some instances, especially since three of the other starting classes do have single point initiative or single digit initiative cards. So sometimes you're just unable to go faster than your friends, even though you want to. But again, that's kind of a little bit fixed as he goes on. He he gets some other tools for that. Again, movement very high, damage not very high, but good, very solid. A lot of single point and a good access to area of effect, not a lot of range. It's going to mostly be very close ranged as a, as a character. Um, but as a tank, that makes sense. Like you're standing out, you're supposed to be in people's faces, so it works. So yeah, so what would you classify as like a weakness, I guess, of the Brute? From from like the metagame standpoint of looking at wanting to play the Brute, I think it does fall on the simpler side. And that's sure. a weakness to me. That's not necessarily a weakness to everybody if you have someone it's not even a weakness to the character necessarily no no absolutely not so if if you have someone that that's coming in and you know wants to play something and just kind of jump in give them the brute i mean like for sure yeah they're going to be doing the damage they're going to be having fun yeah oh you're gonna have a ton of fun playing the brute there's there's gonna be times where you feel like you are saving the mission and the party's gonna be like dude if you weren't there we would have totally lost that yeah 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 and so i think i think the 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 weaker side of the brute is it doesn't unlock any abilities for like buffing other characters or debuffing the enemy necessarily it has a good amount of pierce cards and what pierce does is it overcomes or bypasses shield which which is really nice in i would say higher level yeah it's yeah. not that common in the lower level campaign right. um but the type of thing that can make a mission for you against certain enemies for sure um, another weakness i would list for the brute again he does not have i think really any access to healing or it's at least extremely limited um so you will need to invest in some items for that that's a good point for yeah. you um like if you were playing a two person campaign and you had the brute and someone who did not have access to healing you may find yourself in situations as the brute where you're like hey I'm the tank I'm doing great and then you're like oh my god I'm almost dead like you know because <laughs> like you're just you're so in the mindset of being in the face of the enemy that all of a sudden you take a whole bunch of attacks in one turn maybe the monsters flip really well they hit a times 2 you weren't expecting you weren't smart enough to bring iron helmet <laughs> to prevent that times 2 um and then all of a sudden like you know you're just you're way low on health you don't have a way out of it yeah, so you can tell that we like Gloomhaven because we're already at an hour. Uh, nice. <laughs> but uh, just out of the kindness of our hearts, we're not going to charge you any extra for the longer episode. <laughs> we're sweet like that. Okay, so... What's up next? <laughs> moving on to the next, we have everyone's favorite class. Okay, I say that sarcastically. The Tinkerer. And see, you say that sarcastically, but I know people who really like the Tinkerer. I've never actually seen the Tinkerer played, so I'm, I'm really wanting to hear a little bit of discussion here. So I saw the Tinkerer played for a uh, not that long. We had a we had one of our current our, our active players' brother come in and he okay. played the Tinkerer for one mission. Okay, he had a lot of fun with it. Um, maybe I'm maybe I'm selling the Tinkerer short um, because it, it's I think it's a very it's a utility character. It, it, is, it yeah. does a lot of weird things. Yeah, and nothing really well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, jack of all trades. A little yeah, bit. I think from from what I've seen looking through it it's definitely quirky like the things that it's doing it's doing in slightly roundabout ways sometimes but the main goal of the class right is a support class yeah absolutely so if you like support this is the character to play um there's one other in the starting six that that would also fall into the support role or you can build it as a support role and we'll we'll get into that that's i uh, that's my favorite character. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. What 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 is interesting about the Tinker is it's on the uh, the medium health track. 
Right. Starting yeah. at like what eight? I think it starts at eight. Then it goes to nine, then 11, 12, 14. So it's like the the three fourth hit die in Pathfinder. If you've ever, if you're yeah. able to wrap your head around that ridiculous concept, <laughs> then, then you're gonna be able to figure this out. It's basically yeah. every other level you're getting two instead of one. Right. But the survivability on the Tinker is actually pretty high because it's he has enormous. a starting hand of twelve. Yes. Which is the highest out of any of the starting classes. Yep. And just to kind of give you an idea, if you have ten cards in your hand. We, we said earlier that that gives you 25 turns, mm-hmm. active turns. Active turns. 34 as you rest. If you have 12 cards, you get 36 turns. Yeah. And if you rest, 47 turns. Yeah. Which, at that point, you're, you're just hanging around to die. Because right, all your, your party's <laughs> exhausted. Your party is gone. But it does give you the opportunity to go ahead and trash cards to negate damage. Yep. Does he have many cards that are useful to as a trash ability? Again, we covered earlier that sometimes cards can do a really epic thing one time and then they get kind of trashed early and they can't be used again. Does he have any cards that are useful like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he has a couple of cards that are some like ranged AOE or area of effect attacks okay. that, that do a lot of damage. Though those are harder I we have a I have a really hard time using trash cards because yeah. you're you're it you're feels like you're never going to get so it again. many turns. Yeah, and and, and then it, it, you have the like the opportunity cost of like, but what if there's a better turn to use this trash card? In Gloomhaven, honestly, most of the time you just need to use it. Especially if you have as many cards as the Tinkerer, because you, you do need to just use them. So one of the cooler trash cards, it has an initiative 16, which is pretty fast. I mean, it, it's fast. Yeah. And um, the ability is heal 5, which is a lot of healing considering you start with 8 health as the Tinkerer. And yes. It's a range of 2. So that means that you can heal any of your allies or yourself. Mm-hmm. Five health, and, and honestly, like just my experience from Gloomhaven, that's that's a high heal. That is a really high heal across most classes. That's a high heal. It's a level one card. It gives you two experience, which is how you level up your character. Oh wow, very nice. But also the heal can be upgraded twice. Yeah, we talked a little bit about upgrades. We're, we're not going to get super deep into them because it's kind of fun to explore on your own. But you can basically add buffs to this card. Yeah. So if you can add two buffs to a heal five, you can just like you know hit the brute. And let him go crazy for a turn. For a couple, and, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. you're gonna have a lot of fun seeing that. The brute's gonna have a lot of fun just like going crazy. So right. And you uh, said that is or is not a trash. That is a trash. That that, is that's a trash. one of the trashes. Okay, I had said that's very high. Now that I'm thinking about it, that's okay for a trash. I think. So, um, I, I, well, we while we're talking about initiative, the tinkerer averages out to the second slowest in initiative. Part of that is because he has so many cards that he has to have six fast cards in order to use them all. But in his starting hand, I thought this was really interesting. His top five cards go 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. Like, it's, like, <laughs> awesome. it's very predictable. Like, you know, if he wants to go fast, you basically know when he's going to go. But after that, it, it slows down significantly. And so he ends up, again, no single digits. 16 is already, um, for being your fastest card, isn't very fast. So he has the opportunity to go early, but not faster necessarily than the rest of your party. As a healer, though, may or may not actually matter, right? So long as he's going faster than the monsters, that's usually fast enough. Yeah, yeah. And the other thing that the Tinkerer kind of does is he can create traps. And so th- this is kind of where it gets kind of fun. I think the Tinker would could be fun for a new player, but if you understand the the mechanisms that go into the autonomy of the enemies, the Tinker can be a lot more fun. Yeah, because you can start placing those traps, right? And right. you can start so, messing with how they're going to move. A, a trap, an enemy will avoid a trap, basically, unless it can't. Yeah, unless he's like walled into a corner and he has to walk through the trap, that's about the only time he will. This, this one that I'm looking at uh, is create a one, two damage poison trap in an adjacent empty hex. And that's not a trap. Or that's not a trash. 
And so, oh, so cool. it, it's a two. So when an enemy walks through it, you take two damage, and they get poison. Poison is stupid good. Yeah, um, very. It's, yeah, very very strong. If if an enemy is poisoned, every time they take damage, they take one more damage. Mm-hmm. So if you're playing in a party of four people there and an enemy is poisoned and all four people attack that's four extra damage that round yeah and then there are characters like the mind thief has a summon um a couple of the other characters that we haven't or at least one of the other characters that we haven't covered yet has a summon and so that's like sort of summoning this little buddy this little creature next to you that creature also gets an attack and gets to benefit from the poison so all of a sudden your party has like five maybe six even more attacks that it's each one is benefiting from the poison so yeah very very strong ability so we talked about you just mentioned summons yeah the Tinker, I think, has the funniest summon. Okay. And it, it's called uh, Summon Decoy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so it has six health. It moves two. It doesn't attack. <laughs> and literally, so a, a summon acts right before you in initiative. And so basically, you, you would summon this. It would move in front of you. It would take the hit for you. Yeah. And six probably will get you through two to three attacks. Yeah. And so that just kind of adds to the survivability of the Tinkerer. Right. The, the one other thing that, you know, kind of is nice about the Tinkerer is you can customize him. Because he is that jack of all trades, you can customize him pretty much however you want to build him. If you want to do yeah. like the trap build, you can do that. The healing build, there's, there's a way to do that. Yeah. And so I didn't enjoy... I, I looked through the cards. I didn't. I, yeah. I, it was. A, it was. This was the most disappointing class to me. Okay. Um, because this is the class that I thought I would like the most. Right. Because you class, typically like support classes. And it's the class I like the least. Yeah. And I think it's because it's for you. I, I would assume it's probably because it's missing the like the the buff and the debuff that I think you look for in a support class. You know this about me. I love influencing the board. That's one of my favorite mechanisms in an RPG like this. Like when I when I'm building Pathfinder characters. You know, I'm not going to, I don't want fireball as a sorcerer. I want the pit, you know, in the ground that can like mess with how enemies move. Um, so I've never played the Tinker, um, but I've always really wanted to try it because he has a little bit of that because he does have like the healing. He does have like a little bit of range damage. I think his character is is quirky, but for when I look at it, I'm like, okay, I see what you were trying to do. And I think it kind of hits that. Like he wants to be at a little bit of a range, do a little bit of healing. I think he would be extremely difficult to use in a two-man party, uh, like almost, almost impossible. I, 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 if, if you are playing a two-person party, do... It would have to be him and a brute. That would be like the only way. It would, and might even work. then, I, I I do not think that there's less on the map in a two person party, which allows True. enemies to move more and avoid True. your traps. And yeah, I I think the Tinker is probably strongest in four at my glance yeah. at him. Yeah. You know, and again, that's just I've not played him. I've not seen him play. That's just using my knowledge of the game. But I think he's probably strongest at four because there's going to be more often that someone needs healed. Also, like you said, the map is more cl- cluttered, so his application of traps is more poignant. So I think that's like going to be more fun to play with him and i also am a little biased because the the person who played the tinker in our party did not have a fun time while playing the mm. tinker mm-hmm. and that makes me sad yeah <laughs> like yeah, when, yeah. When, when that happens so that i think that does bias it a little bit if you like the jack of all trades you're going to do that so just kind of a tld l too long didn't listen <laughs> uh, <laughs> jack of all trades support initiative is a medium can be fast can be slow it, it gives you the flexibility i think there yep survivability is high it's the medium track but it has a lot of cards and you can summon that decoy and yeah, just and obviously it. like the healing applies to himself he can apply you know if needed kind of thing so yeah very high survivability damage is pretty low uh, and movement yeah. you said was mediocre i actually didn't oh. I, I don't know that's <laughs> <laughs> fine we we haven't talked about this beforehand. We're we've just found that it's kind of more fun to just fly off the cuff when we're discussing these. Yeah, yeah. Like I'm glancing through here, and he has a couple access to like move move four. Actually, he has like three access to like move fours that I'm seeing 
I'm just in his level so one high. cars. Yeah, that, that's that's like that's that's above average certainly. Um, it's not epic high. Like it's it's not as high as like the brute can get. Um, but it's also not as focused. You know, he just kind of like it looks like he'll have turn. He has actually a lot of other things that could be done. On moves tend to be on the bottom action. Um, so we oftentimes look for things on bottom actions that are not moves. If it's like okay, I'm gonna have a turn where I want to be stationary. What can I do? Seems like the tinker has a lot of a lot of capability there. And so he's either kind of like having a big move to reposition himself or like taking a turn where he's standing still doing a lot of things. Yeah, we're, we're just kind of going off the cuff. We're doing this kind of, you know, we're random drawing these like yeah. cards and we're, we're talking about them, but we're going to summarize all of our thoughts and put it into our show notes, which we'll link on our website. Yeah, there'll probably be a table involved. Yeah, yeah. There, we graphs. Excel, we like Excel. Yeah. <laughs> all right, flip us another card. Oh, I hope I know what we're doing next. There's only three left, so. <laughs> the <laughs> nice. Spellweaver. Okay, you get to talk about the Spellweaver. Yeah, this is like the opposite, where I have seen the Spellweaver played um, a couple times, actually, in two different parties, and you have not. And so the Spellweaver is, you guessed it, a Spellweaver. <laughs> yeah, a, 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 a Spellcaster. They're your, they're your straight wizard. Um, and so the Spellweaver um, has, it is also on the low health track, so a, a fairly... Uh, fragile, uh, another glass cannon type character. Again, alongside the the mind thief uh, who we talked about earlier, the spellweaver also has eight cards. So it has the lowest number of cards. I said that there was a, sort of a distribution around ten, ranging from eight to twelve. Tinker had the twelve. That's the high survivability. The spellweaver has the eight. Um, however, the trick about the spellweaver is there are a lot of cards that they can use that trash. And so you're thinking, oh, well, why would I want to like you know trash cards? Like there are you know there's too many. I don't. I don't have enough cards. I don't have. I can't afford to trash cards. The my, the spellweaver has entirely unique card in the game that says recover all of your lost cards. And so this this is a card that can only be used once per mission. And all those cards which you have been trashing over the course of the game, which has been reducing your hand size, all of those immediately come back. And you, it's sort of like you get to restart minus the the card that like let you do that. And so the spellweaver has, I would say, surprisingly high survivability. Um, there were turns or, or missions that I've had. Where the spellweaver doesn't end last, um, doesn't exhaust first, you know, or, or I guess where the spellweaver ends last, where the spellweaver does not ex- ex- exhaust first, and she's kind of like standing there, like a little bit surprised, like, wait, I'm still taking turns, and everybody else is done, um, because you feel like you're always kind of like on low numbers of cards, but then you kind of get this like second breath, so it's kind of second chance at life. And, and uh, to kind of tag along to that, the spellweaver is on the lower health. I, I will say, if you are on the front lines, you're gonna die quickly with yes, the spellweaver very because. Tricky. The, the trick with the Spellweaver is that she has all of these like really good cards that are trash or lost cards, and she can get those back. But if you're right. needing to use that to negate damage, you're not being able to use that for the ability. Yep. So positioning is very important, very. and you have to have someone that in your party that's willing to take damage away from you Yeah. because they sure. know what you can do. For sure. And there's there's very little, whereas the Mind Thief is like, okay, you, you're susceptible to being hurt, but you also can go invisible or apply stuns or apply disarm. Very, very little opportunity to do that as the Spellweaver. So it's almost even more of the true glass cannon where it's like, you are you are the wizard. You are you are the sorcerer, the the spell weaver. You're gonna stand behind your tanks, maybe next to the healer, and just apply massive spells, massive damage. A lot more area of effect, or or maybe not area of effect, but at least multi-target, if not area of effect. So there's a lot of things that'll say, you know, I'm looking at uh, fire orbs. This is a very common card people take. Attack three, range three, meaning you know I can be three spaces away to use this card and target three, so I can hit three different things for three damage. And just to kind of give anyone who hasn't played the game an idea, a range three probably hits almost anybody in like a medium sized room. Yeah. Yeah. Most rooms don't like, I don't typically need to attack something farther than four. 
Yeah, right? any, five spaces away is like I don't really need to be that far away. Usually. Yeah, if you have a range five, then yeah. that I mean you're hitting anything that you want to at that point, right? right. Right. There's never so range three. I think is probably average. Yeah. And yep. So I mean yep. that that's a really good card. Yeah. It has another one that I really like. Attack three, range four. Target all enemies on the path to the primary target. So if you can kind of that's l- really cool. <laughs> that is really fun. Yeah. It's sort of like your it's uh, impaling eruption, almost like you know it's like a lava flow that's coming out of your hands or something, and just hitting everything in a straight line. Um, but that can be set up for combos to you know damage a lot of enemies. Both of those gain you experience for every enemy targeted. Um, so a very a very high a very quick leveling character. Um, so if you're wanting to like join the game and just do big things, just you know just hit that, just clear a room by yourself. I mean, there were times where the spellweaver would just kind of walk through the door, guns a blazing, and just blow a room away. And you're like, well, do we actually need to be playing, or is the spellweaver going to win this mission by themselves? You know, now they won't. It just look there would be some times where you walk in and you do the most epic thing. You're like, that was awesome. Like we are winning right now because I exist. Yeah, I I will go ahead and say if you're listening to this podcast, you you're either interested in playing gloomhaven or you have played gloomhaven i think the spellweaver is probably one of the classes that you can give a friend who is on the fence about playing gloomhaven yeah if you give them the spellweaver they are going to enjoy their time playing gloomhaven for sure and there are times where you because specifically because there are times where like okay the brute's out there he's taking damage but he, he really just can't like you know cut through the crowd he can't bring like the enemy numbers down the tinker is just trying his best to keep him alive and everyone turns to the spellweaver like can you save us? And the spellweaver's like, yes, I can. <laughs> blows the room apart. I can fix that. I can. <laughs> just blows the It's so fun to watch happen. A decent access to mobility, again, kind of just like saving yourself from uh, positioning errors. Some, I would say, utility on bottom actions. They're not excellent, um, but some, you know, some nice heals, some nice extra attacks that you can get. Um, they have access to jump. Jump is a mechanism where you, um, you're allowed to basically move through enemy uh, figures as if you're jumping over them or obstacles and stuff like that. Surprisingly useful in the game. Um, it's also an upgradable card, so that's a and it's on your like recover all your lost cards. It's <laughs> the bottom on that, so you're always gonna have it. And so it's like, oh, all of a sudden this is move four jump, always useful. Now it's a move five jump. It's excellent, you know. Yeah. Um, so yeah, a decent amount of uh, of utility from the spellweaver. If you enjoy the wizard or the sorcerer, or the magic user, the thing that can do funky things, yeah, uh, kind of break the game a little bit. Uh, you're you're gonna enjoy your time with the spellweaver. Yeah, I would say that they stro- the We haven't talked a lot about boss fights yet. Um, so there are, I mean, it, it makes sense. It's like, I'm going to go through this series of missions that are functionally a dungeon. And then at the end of them, there's some big boss fight where it's like some one character that has a ton of health or something. He's immune to things like stun or whatever. And Typically has some cool rules. Yeah. Some which, very unique rules. I, oh, I love that part of Gloomhaven is where you're coming across a monster that breaks the rules of the game. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And there, there's a good amount of that, which we won't get into because we want you to discover that on your own. Just know that it's excellent and you'll be so thrilled. The, the Spellweaver struggles there. It struggles with very high health enemies because they're typically doing kind of what I was describing of like multi-target good damage, not single target tons of damage. Um, but in like those boss fights, they'll be like, okay, you guys kill the boss. I'll take care of everything else. Yeah, I will clear your path. Just you kill the boss kind of thing. So a very fun character to play. I'm always happy to have him in, in the party. It's really helpful. Yeah, how do, how does it rank on initiative? Right, so on initiative order, um, they are in. Uh, they're actually kind of hanging out with like the brute, where they are. They're they're fast, but not like excellently fast. The thing that makes them feel really fast is they do have one card that's a seven, um, and so that like when you need to go fast, you can do that. But their next like tier of cards is in like the, the low twenties, so it feels like you kind of get this one opportunity to go before everybody else, and then you're slow. And that's really unfortunate as a damage dealer because you're kind of wanting to go as fast as you can to eliminate all these like creatures before they have the chance to damage your party friends. And so I, b- I believe as they go on to upgrade, they start to get a couple more cards that let them do that. But again, sort of like you have this opportunity to go once fast at like seven, and then you're kind of like 
21, 2020. But that seven really actually helps out more than you might think because you're you only start with eight cards. And so you hang out in the like four to six cards a lot in the game. So you're actually typically only going through your deck on two or three turns. And so that seven hits a lot. You know, it hits like almost every other turn or every third turn or something like that. So they can feel very fast when you need them to. Um, but if you are, in, especially like around like the level one, your level seven card does not have a trash or your initiative seven card does not have a trash on it. Um, on the top, it's attack two, range three. Um, and then you can consume an element, which we haven't talked a lot about, but it's sort of a mechanic that sometimes is around to add one attack. Basically, so it's either an attack two, attack three on top, not excellent. Heal three on bottom, range one, not excellent. But because it's an initiative seven, you find yourself kind of keeping it around just because you're like, as the spell weaver, I need to be able to go first. I haven't seen a play, but I assume high damage. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Like I said, not uh, it's high damage total but low damage, single point. Yeah, yeah. Only like three. It's the crowd control character. It's the crowd control yeah. character, yeah. Okay, yeah. Uh, we, we've, we've played for about a year and a half. We've unlocked, uh, I think, all of the classes at this point. Yeah. And my last time when we changed characters, I was debating between the uh, the Spellweaver and uh, a, another character. Okay. And so I think next time I retire a character, I'm probably pulling out the Spellweaver because yeah. it, it does seem like a very fun class to play. For sure. Okay, we got two left. Two left. Do we need a drink break? Yeah, are you out? Yeah. Okay. Cheers. Cheers. So since you guys are getting a um, a bonus episode, a bonus extra long episode, we're getting a bonus drink. Um, so we've opened up. I was gifted a, a Dalwini, a special edition, like Game of Thrones themed uh, scotch. Um, so I'm not like a scotch expert by any means, but I do really enjoy it. And so uh, it's, it's a Highland scotch. So it's not like an Isla, like one of the like super peaty scotch but it it has it has some it's not non-existent but the pd is like the like smoky sort of flavor that you're kind of getting out of it so dolwini is like a good brand i mean it's not like i said i'm not a i'm not a scotch expert so i'm not gonna like go into like too much of it but it's easier to drink than than like the rye or, or some of the other things that are like a little more harsh um it's pretty pretty simple i i will say the color is nice but it tastes nothing like any other beer i've ever had yeah <laughs> <laughs> That's because so, you have to boil it over and over again to get yeah, that. Yeah, I, I mean, it, and you have to, it yes. is weird. The uh, the IBU may be a little bit low. <laughs> I, <laughs> I I also don't have a lot of experience with scotch. I don't know if you... I have a lot of scotch drinkers in my family, um, people that, that really enjoy it. Okay, so diving back in, we have two cards left. Let me shuffle them up. And we have, for our fifth, is the Scoundrel. So you have not played or seen a scoundrel played that's correct this is the um and actually i think you know now that i'm now that i'm thinking about it i did have one night uh like a guest someone who came in and played the scoundrel one time and so it was our, our typical third party of three brought in a fourth and he, he played a scoundrel so that's the one time i've seen a scoundrel played other than that yeah very little experience with them i actually played a scoundrel i didn't play it as one of the okay. starting classes I, I i picked it up i think around level five yeah. Um, and then I, I played it all the way through level nine. So I'm not super familiar with the how it plays starting out. Okay. But okay. I mean, once you gotcha, get into it. Like, came back to him. Right. Yeah. 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 But in the higher levels, the scoundrel is, when, once you get up pretty high, the scoundrel is like really cool. Okay. Um, but the lower levels, it, it's your rogue, right? Yeah. It, it gets a lot of money, which I love. I, yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I, uh, I, my, my group jokes about how I'm the one who always loots everything. Yeah. And so, you know, they, there are cards in the game where it's like loot 
one where that's you pick up every single money and treasure yeah. that is one space away from you. And then a lot of people will have loot two cards, but typically that's a trash. The scoundrel has some cards in there that are loot twos and they're not trashes. So oh, you just goodness. get to pick everything up in the room. Yeah, he is and, really the true rogue in that sense. Yeah, and, and since the, the rules state in Gloomhaven that you're not supposed to share money right across players and so that that's a balancing mechanism they've introduced into gloomhaven so uh the the scoundrel is balanced in the fact that he has access to better items typically right uh which is just it's an interesting way to do it yeah okay it is on the standard health track so just right in the middle in terms of uh, health and how much is gaining health but I think from my from my just and again I haven't seen too much of the scoundrel played. But from my just looking at the number of cards and what their cards do, it seems actually fairly low in survivability. The trick with the scoundrel is positioning, and that's why I think it's a little bit more difficult for a newer player to play right. well. Is that you have to position yourself so that you're not getting hit. But a lot of their cards are you'd get to do two more damage if you are adjacent to an enemy that is not adjacent to other enemies. Right. Or, or weird positioning yeah. like that. And right, that adjacent just, to another one of your allies or yeah, something like exactly. that. Yeah, exactly. And so it, it's an assassin. Um, yes. it, it can do a lot of damage. There's a couple combos just like on level one where it yeah. has a it, similar to kind of the mind thief where it can go invisible. And then it has a card in here that on, on your next attack while invisible, double the value of that attack. Yeah, and I think actually because of that card and another card that they unlock later, the scoundrel has the highest damage potential like turn in the game like I, I should say single target damage potential in the game they have an extremely high potential but very difficult to set up very diff situational you have to play a lot of tricks in order to get there just looking at two of the level one cards you have an attack three and you get plus two attack if the target is adjacent to any of your allies so that's an attack five if you're invisible yep then that's an attack ten, which which is absurd, right? It's right. Yeah. I mean, um, on, on on level one in a starting class, no one gets close. Yeah. And what what's really cool about the scoundrel is we were talking about how good poisoning is. The scoundrel has a pretty decent chance. That's their debuff. They they're they're the rogue character that poisons the blades that they're using to attack, and so they right. get to poison. And poison is plus one attack, which gets doubled. Right. With that. So, right. Cause, yeah, because they're effectively, <laughs> yeah, exactly. It gets doubled on top of it. They have, just looking over the perks again, really solid perks to where they're not adding like necessarily a ton of damage, but they're removing a lot of the low damage potential. So I see they can remove four of their plus zero cards. They can remove four of their minus one cards, actually five of their minus one cards total. Um, they have my favorite perk in the game, ignore negative scenario effects. I love characters that have ignore negative scenario effects. So if the scenario is trying to screw you out of something, you can just be like, nope, I, I that doesn't happen for me. The scoundrel, though, again, because of that, that, that card, correct me if I'm wrong, that card to double your damage is a trash, right? It, it is. Right. But it's also one that you, you put it into play. Okay, so it works twice then? Is that what you mean by that? It, it works once. You, you put it into play, and it's on your next attack while invisible. So you can play it, and you can not go invisible for 10 turns. Oh, and okay. Then so, so it's not, you don't you have to- You kind of set up for it when you You can need set it. up, and yeah. you don't necessarily- now, well, that's when interesting because then you can use it like with other, your, your turn isn't, a card isn't taking up by doubling your turn. You're still getting two actions on that turn where you're right. doubling an attack. Yeah. So, so you, you can, can move, move and attack. Yeah, move and attack. And I will caution you, you want to do this as close to that single point damage as you can because if it's in play, it's no longer in your 
hand or discard pile, which reduces the number of turns you will, you're, it reduces your survivability. Right, right. And, and actually, again, I, I would say probably the lowest survivability in the game just based on how quickly you exhaust. So that you start with only nine cards with the Scoundrel. The only person less than that is the Spellweaver starting with eight, but the Spellweaver can recover those trashed cards, right? So the Spellweaver actually total over the game has more turns standard than the Scoundrel does. And the Scoundrel has that that dam that double damage card plus I think one or two others that you kind of want to trash during the game, but you don't have the just the card deck to support that. Um, so there are items in the game, stamina potions, going to be very very important as the scoundrel um, because you're you're needing to extend the number of turns that you can get because you're potentially going to run out first out of almost anyone in the party. I would easily say that the scoundrel is the lowest survivability of any of the classes. For sure, for sure. Um, especially because it has the highest initiative of any yep. of the starting classes, it and does. by an absurd margin. Yeah. And if we we mentioned it before, if if you're tied distance wise from an enemy, the next tiebreaker is initiative. And so if you're going fast, you're getting attacked more often than not. Right. The scoundrel is the reason why I kept. I keep saying in this uh, session, this episode, I, I want to say, oh, this character is very fast. And then I have to remember, oh, wait, the scoundrel exists. The this scoundrel character, has a four. This, yeah, the scoundrel has a four. The scoundrel is extremely fast and everybody else is just fast. They have four cards that are 10 or less. So they have a four, six, nine, and 10. Um, and then their next slowest card is, is that brutal 12. I mean, I got to go all the way from a 10 to a 12. But again, they only, they only have nine cards, right? So they can only take four turns. So if you don't want to take something slower than a 10 you never have to um, assuming you're taking all those cards i mean i don't know if all, i don't remember if all those cards are worth taking but even if one of those cards isn't worth taking then you're throwing in the 12 and you're still having four turns less than 12 so an incredibly fast character you're only going slower than a handful of monsters that can even anywhere in their deck go faster than a 12 so if you want to go first you will yeah ex exactly and then i i would go ahead and put it into the high single point damage it doesn't have mm -hmm. a as you level up, it gets a little bit more of, you know, target multiple enemies. Okay. But but level one, it's going to be kind of the assassin character along yeah. with the mind thief. For sure. For sure. Yeah, they're kind of the two. I've seen a couple builds thrown out for a scoundrel that revolve around ranged damage, but it seems to be more melee damage. Is, is that your kind of interpretation as well? Are you feeling yourself getting in the face of enemies? There's actually, there, there's two different builds, and, and which, which is kind of interesting. I, I think it leads to one of the more interesting points of the Scoundrel is that there is the range, and not, not to give too much away, but as, as you level up, you get more range and more targets, okay. which you can build into. Or oh, you have you have the, if you're adjacent to an enemy that's also adjacent to one of your allies, positioning build, right? which, which does more damage. But to one target, okay. Instead of spreading out, right. And so with, with the scoundrel, I, one of the popular builds is you go and poison everything, and then you attack everything. Oh, and okay, yeah, yeah. So, so which is kind of fun. Like yeah. I, I, I enjoyed that build. That's the one I ran with was okay. Uh, the kind of the debuff build, and yeah. then attack. and you ran that in a party of three. Correct. I did. I did. I ran it in a party of three. Okay, so kind of or kind of mitigating that risk of not having enough allies adjacent to the enemies to take advantage of your really strong cards that do that. Exactly. Yeah. yeah okay. The the other thing is the uh, the scoundrel has very very high movement. Uh, mm. You can pretty much get anywhere you want to, okay. and that helps because you're going so fast that you can position yourself one for those cards that you know you're adjacent to your ally, right? So you can attack, and also if I am in this hex, that's one more away. I'm probably not going to get hit because the brute can get here and will gotcha. take the damage. Gotcha. And so uh, again, it's it's not as bad of 
like the tinkerer trying to yeah. figure out the the autonomy of the enemies. So so I guess do you think having seen the scoundrel played, do you think that the scoundrel can be played it, it, using only the the six starting classes? Can the scoundrel be played without a brute in the party? No. The the only you could potentially do it with the class our last class that we're going to talk about. Yeah. But you need the brute to take damage for you because it's so positional and a lot of your other higher survivability classes want to kind of stay in the back. Right. Like your tinkerer doesn't necessarily want to get hit. Yeah. They're not going to be the one that's going to be adjacent to the enemy. Right. And the right. brute is. And so if you if you can figure out how to, you know, get the brute up there and then you come up there. Gotcha. So if the brute is in play, then if somebody else has already taken him in your initial party, then the scoundrel may be a very strong pick. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And so one of one of the other things is you can play Gloomhaver. Uh, Gloomhaver. You can play Gloomhaver. <laughs> Gloomhaver. <laughs> I'm from Kentucky, uh, <laughs> and I am drinking alcohol. <laughs> uh, so you you can play Gloomhaven with two players. And one mm-hmm. one of the interesting like kind of theory crafted party compositions is a scoundrel brute. And oh, I think, that's it. You're going to run through yeah, and deal I, a I think that would be damage. a lot of fun. It to, would be really to, fun to, to try. To do a scoundrel brute two-player party. Yeah. I, I just, um, because you have the tank that, you know, takes absorbs the damage and then the high damage output that relies and you're just, you, you stick together and you just move. And you just move. Yeah, the, the thing you'd have to fight then is the initiative of a scoundrel. Like, hey, slow down. I need to take damage, you know? Yeah, um, But absolutely. honestly, if you have those two characters next to an enemy, what's the realistic chance that the enemy lives through the turn? No. Very low. <laughs> Very low to non-existent. Um, what would you name as any other weaknesses of the scoundrel that we haven't discussed already? Other than, you know, relying on other people to take damage. He's a, he's a low survivability. Yeah. Okay, so those will kind yeah. of be the yeah, two I, then. I, I, so I think... you're, you're looking for other people to take damage. You're looking for the positional requirements. And then, but the strength that you get out of them is, again, the the, the loot. So you're going to be able to buy a bunch of cool items and kind of customize your character that way. You can have the flexibility to either be a really high single point or really high multi-target damager. And that is actually very, very, very valuable because there are a ton of missions where you walk in. And, and the way Gloomhaven set up, you know what what enemies you're facing going into them because that's sort of like set out. So if you play the game that way and people play different ways, but we, we, we play where you at least knew the enemies going in. And so you could look at the enemies and be like, Oh, I need to specifically bring some of my like multi-target attacks. Right. So a lot of flexibility that it seems like the scoundrel has, which is actually kind of rare for a damage dealer in specifically in the six starting classes is almost non-existent for a character to be able to shift from doing a ton of single target damage to doing a ton of multi-target damage. Very difficult to do in a character build, but the scoundrel can. Okay, ready for our final one? Yes. So the final one, I'm going to shuffle up the cards and draw one. You're going to draw one out of one? One out of one. Process uh, of elimination. <laughs> I'm really excited yeah. for what that's about to happen. So go ahead and name it. What's, what's the last the one? The Cragheart. <laughs> so both of this is um this was my first class that I played. But it, it, it was, was mine as well. Yeah. yeah, and it's almost, it's held up as I've played more and more and more classes. It's held up as one of my favorites. It's, it's definitely the one that I want to go back and play again, given the opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just kind of give you a idea. The crag card has the is on the high health track. Starts with ten health. It starts with eleven cards, so it's above average on the cards. So survivability, yes. it survives. It, it it does. It will. The the caveat I will place on that we mentioned this when talking about the brute that this is the other character that looks like a tank, 
that sometimes is not. And the reason it's not is because it doesn't have access to shield. And so you can be like, dude, I got 10 health, you know, 12 health when I'm level two. You know, my, my little spell weaver buddy over here is at sitting at seven. I'm going to take all these hits for him. But enemies hit really hard in some missions. And all of a sudden you're like, wait a second, I got like four health. Where, where did all my health go? And so it can, you can trick yourself into thinking you're a tank when you're not. Really, you, it, it's that you play it like the high, sur- high survivability, like you said. The Kragheart can almost be played independently from the rest of the party. It can almost yeah. just go off and do whatever he wants. And he will do things that are productive. And it's almost like your party's just like, I hope the Kragheart saves us from this situation and the Kragart kind of comes back and helps you out. The thing about the Kragart is it has a lot more of like multi-target or like area of effect. Yes. Damage and healing. Yeah. So the Kragart is also, it, it's the hybrid of the damage dealing and the support class. For sure. It, it, with a little bit of tank from the survivability. Which a little bit of tank, yeah. Yep. It, to, to your point, what you what you like, you know, the, the effect in the battlefield, he can create obstacles on the battlefield. Yeah, he yeah. can destroy obstacles on the battlefield. This is, uh, I, I think... The druid, that would be the closest, yeah. yeah description. Um, it's definitely the it, it is the truest jack of all trades. The tinker, like we said earlier, gets the closest next to the Kragheart of being able to play multiple roles. The Kragheart can truly do anything, but master of none. And so, a lot of players list the Kragheart as weak because when you have a party that you're able to customize in a game like Gloomhaven, you're sort of looking for people to play roles, and the Kragheart doesn't really play a role. Um, so he he kind of struggles to be the best at something, but honestly, he is so fun to play. He really is. When when I was playing the credit card, I ran a build where I would create uh, obstacles, and then I would like throw the yes. boulders at enemies, and it would do a bunch of damage to anywhere that the obstacle landed next to. And it, th- there was one other class that I had more fun playing. That's an unlock class, but I think this is the class that I had you know, the second most fun playing out of any right. of the other classes. It was, it was a great one to start out with. It did have a lot of options, so I think it was, yeah. it's a little bit more complex. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't necessarily give someone who's on the fence this class yeah. um, because it can be a little bit overwhelming, especially with, you know, 11 cards in the hand, so there's a lot of options to choose from. Oh, good point. But <laughs> Oh, man, it's fun. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, you can you can definitely sit in a turn sometimes in gloomhaven you're you're battling between what can i do and what do i want to do on this turn and so you see this big bad monster that's about to beat up on the spellweaver and you're like how am i going to help them that's what you want to do and then you look at your hands of cards and for the brute it's like oh here's my best move card it has some jump and then i'm going to like do this attack now my turn is clear to me the Kragheart looks at his hand and goes well there's several ways i could do this i could create obstacles between the spellweaver and the big bad monster right i could like jump over there and attack him myself i could like Go could, late and heal. I could go late and heal. I could muddle. I could start to debuff, you know, this big bad monster. There's a ton of ways that you can start to help out. And so you really have to think about, you know, what what is kind of the highest value that I can get out of my turn. And, and then if you're in a larger party or even a smart party, then you start to think about less of, you know, what can I do on my turn? And really, what does my party need me to do? You know, maybe my Spellweaver, I am worried about them, but I also know as the Kragheart, I'm probably going to go slower than my Brute. He's probably just going to jump over there because that's what he likes to do. So what else could I do? You know, and you kind of have to fill that role a little bit. Yeah, and I think another reason that some of the online forums list him as weak is he, I didn't do the math, but I'm assuming he's the slowest of the starting classes. He's absolutely the slowest of the starting classes. I think his, and and part of it is because he starts with 11 cards, right? And so he's got to have five fast cards and he has like one or two. And so his average ends up being like 30 or something. He is slow. He he is very slow. As the crack card, you will consistently be the last, among the last or the last 
going in your your party. Absolutely. And that being said, he is also pretty slow in moving. So he, yeah. he doesn't. He's not very mobile. He, he's a yes. big rock, yeah. pretty much. Like that is easily his biggest weakness. I would say is the the movement that you can't always necessarily get to where you need to be. Yeah, and and with with being a support character, that can be difficult. For sure. And also being a support character, if you're trying to support a scoundrel and you're going up against a monster that has higher initiative, you're going to be probably tailored, or you're you're going to be forced into a certain way of supporting that character because you're not probably going to be able to go quick enough to you know jump in front of them yeah the crackheart also has some like weird abilities where he will actually accidentally damage his allies um and so and, and that kind of reinforces like i'm looking at one of his trash move cards which says all adjacent allies and and enemies suffer one damage so you damage everything around you and then you move four and then you do that again you damage everything around you including allies and enemies kind of reinforcing that theme of like Maybe he kind of is a bit of a loner. He has a, just enough self-heal to keep himself going, but he isn't the brute who's going to jump into the front line. He is the dude who's going to jump into the back line and take out the archers for you. Like That's kind of his role. So you walk into a room and you, as the Kragart, go like, what needs to be done that nobody else can do that I can figure out how to do? And, you know, I, I've been in scenarios where, you know, you run in and take out the archers, which is a li- kind of helpful because the archers, you know, are probably going to go before you if you're playing the Kragart. Yep. So they're shooting and then you're running in and you get a full attack yep. on those archers. And then if you have one of maybe your quicker cards, you can probably play that card at that point yep. and then hit get two attacks on those archers uh, before they can actually attack you. For sure. For so sure. that kind of adds to the survivability. Yeah, he, he definitely leans, more, and you mentioned this a little bit earlier, he definitely leans more towards the uh, damage, like multi-target damages than single-target damages. He doesn't have a, a ton of single-target damage opportunities, but he, he can put out legitimately uh, a lot of decent damage to, to multiple targets, so that's where he will kind of like lean if he can. Uh, again, I I built mine. My, party, my, initi- my initial party did not have a healer, and so I, I sort of railroaded the Kragheart into doing that. And again, not a master of it, but good enough to fill the role that our party needed. I think you kind of built the Kragheart differently, right? I, I did, and our party didn't have a healer either, but we had a Kragheart and a Brute, so okay. we didn't really need one. Gotcha. Um, yeah, and, enough health just to keep everyone and going. And the third player played a Mind Thief. And, oh, yeah, so he's never like getting hurt anyway because he's invisible yeah, and stuff. And, so, and yeah. if, if he is getting hurt, we're not doing our job correctly. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> so there is that. We, we've gone through the top six. We're, we're going to put out our show notes of a summarized uh, version of you yeah. know kind of what we've talked about. But we wanted to kind of end on a, a couple of things. One, just kind of general strategy tips that you want to look at. Uh, as a new player, may, you know, some things that, you know, you would learn throughout a couple of games will be really helpful for the first couple. And then, and then we'll we'll talk briefly about some party compositions yeah. and, and what, what you want and what you want to avoid for sure. uh, to, in order to have some fun. One of, one of the things that I want to go back to for like your cards in hand and your survivability is yep. looking at those cards that you can trash. Those cards that when you, you play it and you play the trash version of the card, uh, we're going to ignore the spell weaver because she can get those back. But if you can do that later in the game, it is significantly better than doing it earlier in the game. Yes. To kind of give you an idea, if you have 10 cards in your hand, you have 25 turns. Okay. If you play a trash card, in that first like run through round, your deck yeah, yeah before you take one rest you drop down to a hand of nine cards you're, yeah and then you'll rest and you'll resting. draw up to eight you're yeah you'll draw up to eight so you're really looking at instead of 25 you'll take five of those so you're down to 20 and you'll lose four turns 
right. by trashing one card. Yep, which makes sense because each card is worth half a turn, roughly. I mean, it doesn't quite work out that way um, because you have odd number rounds where you end with one card, but roughly one turn or uh, roughly half of a turn. And so if I'm you know, starting with 10 cards, I have five turns. Um, and then if I'm losing a card early, then over the course of, you know, reducing down from a five turn, four turn, three turn, two, you know, I'm losing half a turn each time. So you can lose, if you do it in the first round, you're going to lose more turns than yes. if you do it later. Exactly. Yeah. So if you can survive without using the trash cards earlier in the, the scenario, I, w- I would go ahead and do that. Yeah. And then the flip side of that is you, you can exhaust and win a scenario. And that's something that's hard for early players to understand. And so you are allowed to run out of cards. And I would say if you have, if you have the Cragheart, if you have uh, the Tinkerer, if you have some of those like high card survivability type characters, there are going to be times where you're like, you're sitting there as a spell weaver, and you're like, you know, if I if I start using, you know, exhausting these heavy um, hitting cards, I, I'm I'm going to exhaust before the rest of my party and be useless. But the reality is, if I exhaust, if I trash these cards right now, do this epic damage and remove these monsters, what I'm doing is I'm removing damage potential on my party members, which is is increasing their longevity because now they're not having to use their cards to heal themselves. They're not having to use their cards as a trash to prevent themselves from taking damage. Right. So that you are buying your team turns, and so you, as you get later in the um, mission, you sort of flip from this mentality of like, do I need to keep my cards into I'm going to go ahead and burn my cards, recognizing that I may exhaust, but I'm going to save my party and we're going to win the mission because of it. Yeah, one of the other strategy tips that I would I would throw out to kind of just be cognizant about is that going first is not always best. Yeah, um, yeah. So you you have higher initiative cards, and typically, like in a Pathfinder setting or a D and D setting, you probably want a higher initiative. In Gloomhaven, that's not always the case because if you are the, the scoundrel and you go first and you run out there and then all the enemies get to take the turn they are attacking you and you are probably not going to survive that. <laughs> yeah and something that you know i've done i think you guys did in your your starting campaign and i did yeah. I, I talked to another friend who did it is the first turn of the game they're like oh cool i'm going fast i'm running the monsters went and like you know Tur- you- turn one they're, they're almost dead yeah and it's like oh that's how this game works cool yeah okay. so yeah, 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 it, yeah it's one of those um whereas you know if you have the scoundrel and since you get to pick your initiative uh yes if, if you have a seven and a 60 maybe you want to choose that 60 so you can allow the the, the crag heart or the brute to go first to get up there to absorb the damage yeah it's sort of like you want to take the damage that you can right because as a um, as a scoundrel, you have to remember I'm on the medium health track. I'm not a low health character. So there are times where I want to take one or two attacks off of the brute, right? Because it's not a turn where he's shielding himself. And so I'm going to, I'm going to prevent him from getting to the low health, you know, and I'm going to myself go from like my top health to my medium health. And, and that's kind of a smart play because then over the course of the game, we haven't talked about you heal during long resting and long resting can be extremely valuable, especially since you can re- refresh some items and there's, you know, th- there's some other benefits. And so if you are sitting the whole game at your max health, you may be detrimental to your party because you aren't, the, the party doesn't have access to the resource of that unused health that you have kind of thing. And those unused heals from long resting. So you may want to take, you know, five damage over the course of, you know, the first round or something like that, just so you have the ability to heal yourself a little bit if you need to. Yeah. Any other general strategy tips that you can come up or do you want to jump into party comp? Oh yeah, I do. So I I think when I was starting out, our, our group got very caught up in what can I do this turn? And, and, and basically identifying all the things that you can do on your turn and trying to pick the best one. Starting out in Gloomhaven, that is not the right way to play the game. The reason that's not the right way to play the game is because, first of all, it is okay to lose missions. 
and, and that your characters don't die. Like, like, actually, there are very few bad things that happen when you lose a mission. Uh, the main thing is that you just have to play it again. Or you, but you can go play other things and then come back to it if you want to, because there's lots of missions that you can play. So it's really not that big of a deal. And so by sitting there and, and thinking and trying to analyze every single thing that you could do on your turn, what you run into is I, I'm playing the crack card, right? And so I'm starting with 11 cards. I don't want to do the math on how many possible turns I can take, right? Because I have to pick two cards, the top and bottom from each of those two cards, right? Starting from, that's a ton of things that I could possibly do on my turn. Bad idea. What you want to do is say, you know, what are what are two or three things that I think my party needs me to do right now? And again, I'm kind of probably coming from this from the point of a crag heart. Um, but let, let's say I'm just playing a spell weaver. I'm looking at the map and I'm saying, okay, there's this group of enemies over here. There's this group of, and then there's that one big enemy right there. What's the threat to my party right now? Okay, you know, these enemies, scary, but they have very low damage. But that guy has pierce, and he's going to push through the shield of my brute. I need to kill that guy, right? Or my brute just got poisoned, right? So where normally I would push through the shield of the other guy, now there's like three little dudes around him. They're going to damage him for a ton because that poison is going to rack up every time. So I either need to, like, heal my brute for a little bit or wipe out those three little guys, right? So you're kind of seeing, like, what is the threat? And and then you're like, okay... I have now identified what I want to do on my turn, and you're going to look at your cards and say, how can I do that? You know, you may not come up with, at the end of the day, your most valuable turn, but you'll come up with a turn that's good, and it'll keep the game moving, it'll help you learn it, and you won't get bogged down in these long turns where everyone's like thinking about what they might be able to do. And honestly, the game isn't difficult enough to where you probably will still do well. Yeah, and it's kind of interesting because it, it's really hard to optimize your turn more than Very one turn difficult. of events. Absolutely. And especially since you don't know what your party members are going to do. Exactly. And you don't know what the enemies are going to do. So if you 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 lay two cards down, you may think that hey, I'm going to play the top card of this or top part of this card and the bottom part of this card. Mm-hmm. And by the time it gets to your turn, you may have changed your mind. You, right, you yeah. can switch and you can play the bottom card of what you thought you were going to play the top card as. And sometimes you're going to pick a turn that's flexible. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and so Gloomhaven is a very fun game because it engages your mind in the sense that you have to think about what it's the tactics of the game, yeah. right? You, you have to think about the what what can I do now? What what is my most optimal move right now? And like there there's the overlying strategy of okay, you know we have to kill the boss. Yeah. But we're not going to be able to kill the boss if I don't kill that guy. Right. And, right. and that puts me in my happy place right there. Right. For it, sure. Yeah. For it's sure. It's kind of fun. And I, and I would think I, w- I would say too as a as an experienced player, you you run into situations. We've talked about alpha gaming and other in other reference to other co op games, um, where I'm the experienced player, so I tell the inexperienced player what to do in Gloomhaven. They res- the rules restrict your communication, so you are only allowed to relay a certain level of detail. And kind of the theming of it is, we're in a battle. I'm allowed to shout something at you very brief and quickly, but I'm not able to like spell out. I am going at this initiative. I am attacking these enemies for this much damage. I'm not allowed. You, you can't give that level of detail. Yeah, typically what what our party does is it goes. I'm going fast. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Give yeah. give some feeling. You can say we always said I'm attacking that guy. You know, because yeah. I think that's reasonable. Yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah. yeah. I'm. I'm that. See the big guy. I'm taking him down. You know. Like I'm. I'm. I'm diving in. You know. I'm healing this. Like you can. Yeah. You can do some high level things like that. And so as an experienced player, what may be helpful to newer players because they may be like looking at all their cards and you can see them getting overwhelmed and you can be like, hey, can you take this guy out? Right? Can you? Can you buff me? Can you? And you just give them like a little thing like, hey, can you do this? You know. And they can look at their cards and be like, yeah, yeah, I can do that. You know. And you're like, cool. Or, or on the flip side, if you're playing the support saying, hey, right. don't be afraid to jump in there because, you know, I plan on doing some healing this round. For sure. I or or something like that. Yeah, I got, yeah, I got you. I got your back. 
Go have go go take him out. Yeah, a brute. Oh man, he will be the happiest guy in the world. <laughs> He's like, you got my back. Cool. No. <laughs> Keep up. I don't even know if I need you to have my back, but <laughs> it's, it's reassuring that you do. For sure. For sure. Okay, let's move to um. Let's build some dream teams real quick. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So party composition. Do you want to do two, three, and four? Players? I do. Yeah yeah, okay. yeah. yeah. So do you want to start with two? Yeah. Sure. 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 Okay. So and what I'm what I'm like looking for here is like you know what's what's your dream team? We've talked already about like brute scoundrel. That's kind of like a specific build you know of okay these guys pair so well together and what they're trying to do that that can work as a very solid build Um, but i guess like thematically if i'm looking at a party and and trying to build it what am am i looking for and then how would i apply that to like a two-person party yeah so i think like very very high level you're gonna want somebody that can do a lot of damage to one target in that party and so you you can build a couple classes like that the two that we talked about that really you know, thrive in that area, the scoundrel and the mind thief. Yeah. Because there, there will be, you know, you walk into a room, there's a lot of little guys, but then there's that one guy that needs to take a bunch of damage to kill him. And so having that would be really good. I think the spell weaver could probably fill that role a little bit. A little bit. Yeah. Yeah. The brute can do that a little bit as well. Kind of flex into that role. I, I would say that the ability to take out like the one big guy in the room will usually save you most of your damage again unless you're poisoned really where like lots of little dudes come into effect like oozes do this where like the little dudes poison you and now all of a sudden that like little plink damage starts to like really really add up Um, that's where you really start to need someone who can flex into like multi-target damage oozes are the worst they're the absolute worst i hate oozes anyways to that i think the dream team would be would include the crackheart Oh, okay. Um, okay. I, and I think you know, I, I, you know, I'm thinking about this right now. Where you were saying that a lot of people think that the crack heart is is a weaker, mm-hmm. one of the weaker classes, and I think he gets weaker the more people you have, because okay. when more people you have, you have people that can fill specialized roles, and they're going to be better at doing that role than the crack oh, okay. heart could be. Yeah. So if you have the crack heart, you can build him any way you want him. And so if, if you're going into a scenario and it's like, okay, this is going to be a longer scenario, you can pull in some healing cards. Right. Um, and, and you can you can build it, you can customize it so that it can almost, it can fit any anything that you kind of need. And then, you know, you back it up with, with, with another character. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the characters that would be hard to back that up with would be the spell weaver um, because there just isn't enough tank line around to like kind of help her stay safe. Yeah. Right. The mind thief may work because the mind thief can stay safe on their own, but then all the damage is going to go into the Kragheart who can't necessarily tank that. So could be done. We'd have to be a little bit careful. Scoundrel could hang out with him. Brute could hang out with him. Both of those seem like viable picks. Tinkerer maybe because he is high survivability, but a little tough. But the Tinker is weaker with the less players, less monsters, sure. less people on the board. I would struggle to pick the Tinker in a two-man yeah. party of any kind. So so make the final decision. What's our two-man dream team? Yeah, I feel like I'm I'm trying not to put the Brute in every single dream team. That, that's going to be hard. It's going to be hard. I think I think Kragheart, Brute, we talked about Brute and Scoundrel. And I think, honestly, I think you could probably get by with a Scoundrel and a Kragheart. You might be able to do that. The thing you would struggle with is the movement of the Kragheart and the occasional accidental damage to the Scoundrel who's next to him. Yeah, I, I'm going to go ahead and throw out my vote and go ahead and settle on the the, the Brute Kragheart mm-hmm. uh, duel. It would be very fun. I, I think that, w- that would be your optimal two-player team. For sure. So... Three player. Three player, yeah. So moving into three player again, you're going to, at this point, now you have the ability, I think, to where you should have access to single target damage and multi-target damage. Like that is that that should be a staple of a really good three-person team. And so I look at having a scoundrel or a mind thief or potentially a brute to fill the single point target damage. I look at the multi-target damage to be filled by either the Kragheart or the Spellweaver would be the, the most the most efficient 
fill of that. I was going to say Spellweaver. Spellweaver. This one. Yeah, yeah I, th- I think the Spellweaver really finds, really shines here because there's enough. There's probably enough tank to like keep her keep her safe. And again, you're going to walk into rooms and just be like, thank God there's a Spellweaver here. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I I, w- I would go ahead and throw the single point damage. I think the uh, the Mind Thief kind of outshines the Scoundrel in this situation. Yeah. The the Scoundrel is. Because the scoundrel can flex into that multi-target damage. It, it it can. I just think the mind thief can do a little bit more with what it's given than the scoundrel. Yeah, but I think if you have mind thief and spellweaver, you need a brute because the yeah. mind thief is going to be off being invisible and doing his own thing. So you need the brute to be the shield yep. for the spellweaver specifically. Yeah, yeah. So are, are we settled on the 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 brute mind thief? Spellweaver is the dream team. Yeah, I think if you, the only way you would shift off of that is if you did Brute plus Scoundrel, and the Scoundrel being able to flex into um, single target damage alongside the Brute, or in different missions flex onto the uh, the uh, multi target damage, and you would have the Cragheart fill out. And so the Cragheart would basically go off and do his own thing, and then you'd have this power squad of yeah. Brute Scoundrel. Okay, yeah, yeah. And I, you could have I, the, I can then you that. could have the Cragheart flex onto heal for the two of them. You could have the Cragheart flex onto multi target damage if Scoundrel's focused on single target. That could be a very strong party. Yeah, absolutely. There are very, very few parties that would not work if you put them together. Yeah. We're, we're just theory crafting at this point. Yeah. Please do not feel any obligation to choose these two, three, or four characters as you're starting. You're, sure. you're not going to lose the game if you don't choose what we think it would be a right. fun. This, this is more what, what what's yeah. a fun party to play. All right. So cut the cut the brute. What's your best three party team dream team there? So cutting out the brute, just kind of off the off the cuff. Cragheart, Spellweaver, Mind Thief. Okay. Yeah, I, I think... You are determined to keep the Tinkerer out of this party. I don't like the Tinkerer. <laughs> I, and so I, I will say the top theorycrafted four-player team probably has the Tinkerer in it. But the Tinkerer, I think, just loses so much when you don't have sure. four players in the party. Sure, sure. So going to the four-player... You're basically now. This is a you have six people, so you're cutting two right? <laughs> and keeping the other ones. I think there, there's not going to be uh, honestly at four players. There's not going to be a lot that you can do wrong. I, I think you pick any about any four, and, and you're going to have a solid party. You can, like I said, again, you can cut the brute out of here because if you have the scoundrel and the cragheart, they can flex enough into tank that you're going to not miss having the brute. And and I think the the one thing I would note is that if you have a scoundrel, you don't necessarily need a mind thief and vice versa. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, that's fair. Those are probably exclusive a little bit. Yeah. I, I think the two that I would cut would probably be the scoundrel and the crackheart or the, the, the crackheart and the mind thief. Okay. Um, probably the mind thief actually, because the scoundrel with a four player party gets a lot more opportunities yeah, you gotta have them. to pair up and do that right. positional. Right. So I, I think a Tinker brute, is a shoe in, right? Because yeah. of the traps and because of the ability to buff and heal. heal. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I think brute, tinkerer, scoundrel, spellweaver. Spellweaver. I think that's probably, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how you could sub any of the mind thief or, this, or the uh, Cragheart to make that stronger. Yeah. Um, if you are choosing that party, Gloomhaven gives you the option to play a difficult level up. Right, so rather than playing the difficulty level that the game recommends based on your party level, um, you can increase that by like one or two levels to um, to make the game harder for yourself, but also increase the level of rewards that you have. If you're playing that dream team right there, I would suggest you probably just start the game playing at least one level up, if and you'll probably graduate to two at the minimum. Yeah, and I I would start out the first level playing the normal. Um, okay, yeah, yeah then, that's true. Yeah, learn the there. game first. Learn, yeah. learn the game. Learn the <laughs> mechanics. Um, go for it. So kind of, you know, wrapping this all up, regardless, whatever you're going to play, you're going to enjoy it. Pick something that fits your play style because there's so much customization in this character process. Yep. And know that if once you pick something, you're not stuck with it. 
Yeah, right? yeah, that's so, a very good point. I hear a lot of people say like, yeah, I played two rounds with that guy and then I just cut and I went, I, I went back and built a level one mind thief because I wanted to try him. Right, and, and I've done that. I, I there, There's a class that I played that I unlocked that I didn't really enjoy playing. I played one and I, at any point, you can just say, I don't want to play this anymore and pick up a new character and play it. Yeah. And, and so you, you can do that and then also you're working towards that secret objective which is going to unlock a new class and yep. you get to play that one. And yeah. so... Yeah, and all the classes. Are, there, There's a lot of classes to unlock. You start unlocking them, you're like, these are cool. Yeah. They're, they're playing with aspects of the game. They're like, when you're starting out playing the six players, you're like, I want to explore this aspect of the game. But none of the starting characters do that. There's a character that does that. Once Absol- you unlock absolutely. Them. And when we retired our first character, it went from, this is a pretty cool game. Like, I, I'm really enjoying this game, mainly because we don't have to worry about the DM. We're having this, like, right. D&D-esque. Yep. And when we unlock the next character, I was like, this is a phenomenal game. Yeah. And I you're mean, like, this absolutely. deserves to be the best game of I, all yeah, time. Yeah. yeah. And, oh, it, it's just like, play it, buy it. You're going to love it. Yep. And yep. I w- if you're finding that it's taking too long to retire your character, I think the game, if I remember right, the game recommends that you keep your uh, like personal quest secret. One thing your party can decide to do is to make your personal quest public so that your party can help you um, achieve them and retire your character faster, totally viable. Um, we've also played um, where there there are multiple uh, personal quests that can unlock um, the same characters. So we've kind of discarded personal quests that already unlocked characters that we had. Yeah, typically what we do is we say all the characters are denotated by a symbol. Mm-hmm. And we don't we, we didn't necessarily share a personal quest, but we said, hey, I'm unlocking this character. Right, the are sun you looking that? symbol. Does yeah. anyone have that? Yeah. And, and if someone else was, then we would shuffle and draw again because, yeah. I mean, you do, you do get like a unique item in a random side scenario quest if you do unlock or you retire and that class has already been right. uh, unlocked. Right. So so there is a little bit of a consolation prize, but it's just so much fun to open the new box and see what's going yeah. on. Yeah, yeah, we always had like everyone crowd around to see like what does this character do, and you explore the level one card. You're like, whoa, and you're reading like their little flavor text on the back, their story of how you know. Then you're like, this is so fun. Yeah, absolutely love that. I would I would say we've done a lot of theory crafting of like the best you know, two or three man parties, you do not have to min-max Gloomhaven. Oh, absolutely right. Not. And a lot of it's because it, it gives you that customization of being able to go up and down in difficulty level. Make a party where everyone's going to have fun, right? Again, people say like that like across the forums that the, the crack heart's probably weak amongst the characters. And like critically, if I'm looking at it, that's true. But I love playing it because I love being able to influence the board and the crack heart can do that. I love having a jack of all trades, flexible tech character and the crack heart can do that. So I'm going to play him and I'm going to have a ton of fun doing it. And to kind of jump off of that, the, the crack heart is weak relative to the other player or the other characters. Yeah. The other starting so classes. It, yeah. Well, actually uh, he, he's probably even like less than average amongst all of the classes, but not the worst. Right. But, but that being said, there's not that much of a difference between the best and the worst class in Gloomhaven. It's Absolutely a, agree. It's a pretty balanced, it's a very, very well balanced game. Yeah. And so um, when we say, you know, the crack card is weaker than everyone else, it's probably when you're playing new players. You're not yep. going to notice it. You're not going to notice it. Yeah, so, absolutely. And um, honestly, like we, we both feel this way. Sometimes in a co-op game, it's good to lose, right? Because I don't want to win all the time. I don't want to win all the time. And and Gloom, I think our party was ending up around like 75, 80% of a win rate. And that's good because sometimes you get, because there were so many times, that means that like 50, 50% of the games we're going one way or the other at the end. And that's what's fun because it, it means that like those ones that we won, it was like, yes, like we were right there. 
you know, and, and we had to like fight for that. There was this epic flip where it was like, we need the times two. And there's like six cards in the deck and we're like, come on times two, you know, and we got it and the whole party freaks out. Right. And like, those are the moments you remember. So yeah, absolutely. Like you're going to want to like pick the card, pick the classes that you want, scale the difficulty to, to give you a win rate that you're comfortable with and, and you'll really enjoy the game. So yeah, I think that kind of concludes the 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 overview of the very long <laughs> starting classes. Yeah, a very um, a very light overview. <laughs> a very light overview. We'll we'll make a little bit of bookmarks in there so you can jump to if for sure. you're looking just for the tinkerer, you can jump to our discussion on that. For sure. But you know, we're we're online, so you can reach out to us. We're we're on Twitter, we're at Ansom Flights. You can reach us on fantasyansomflights.com, which is our website, which is yep. where all our show notes will be published. We have uh, Instagram, and that's Fantasy and Some Flights. Uh, having a lot of fun on Instagram. It, yeah, it, that that's a fun one. And then uh, we're we're on Facebook now because yep. we had to link our Facebook to the Instagram, so we made a Facebook account. So if you, <laughs> if you if you use Facebook, go ahead and catch us over there. And yeah, I guess you could probably send us a mail like a snail mail if you could find our address. I'm not going to give that out on the air though. Um, but if you want the electronic. Uh, snail mail. Oh, the electronic snail mail. Yeah. If yep. you email us at fantasyandsomeflights <laughs> at gmail.com, you can send us some mail. Something that, you know, I've kind of been thinking about, which I think would be kind of fun, is if you guys feel so inclined, send us icebreaker questions. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'd love to answer put, those. Put it, put it in there as kind of like a, uh, you know, tag it with like, hey, this is an icebreaker question. Yeah, so, but don't put it in the title, and then yeah, we'll just open the email. Yeah, we'll we'll the open the email. Doing, I think that'd be kind of fun. That would be fun. That's that a great idea. Fun. With that, I think we're signing off. So we're signing cheers, off. buddy. Cheers. cheers.